It was a paper plate, and it had uh, three blobs of acrylic paint, red, white, and black. And there was just two paintbrushes, uh, a wide, a big one, and a small one. We started off with the canvas, and uh, the first you had to draw a white circle on the canvas, kind of white on white. Then you took the red paint, and you started to sort of build around it, pink, reddish, until the whole canvas was sort of... Uh, Pink, pinkish with sort of a, a white circle in the middle. And, uh, you know, I just sort of, using the big brush, I started doing these strokes. I was really sort of getting into it. And uh, the uh, the woman that was running it came over and she said, Oh, I like those strokes. <laughs> and I don't paint usually. I don't paint, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, I think I may have done it when I was in arts, not art school, but in college we had some art classes and stuff to paint. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I generally don't do that. And as, you know, I've, I've sort of realized I need to focus my creative efforts on, on one type of thing, you know, because I know, like many people, I, I, I'm sort of interested in doing all sorts of creative stuff. But anyway, I sort of felt the paint and the canvas sort of talking to me in a way. And it was just weird. It was a weird experience. Plus, I was drinking some uh, some IPAs that maybe I was a little drunk as well. <laughs> I don't know. This was at a paint and sip. I've never been to a paint and sip before. This is wild. It is a it is a type of uh, activity. It can be like a fundraiser. In this case, it was actually a fundraiser for a political campaign. Very strangely, um, a paint and sip, political paint and sip. Um, it's the idea that uh, you get together in a place, and everyone has a canvas, and everyone paints the same uh, painting while sipping wine, usually, um, and. I've never been to one. My wife has been to a bunch of them. And um, in this case, it was at the VFW, which my, my mother and father-in-law are very involved with. VFW is, a, uh, is the Veterans of Foreign Wars. And there's a, there's an, they have an actual building uh, where they have the members come. They have a bar for their members. You have to be a veteran of a foreign war to be a member. But the friends and family are also sometimes invited. But in this case, it was a, an open uh, thing. You know, you just had to pay... Uh, you had to pay your fee, and then you could do the paint and sip. It was to support Maria Hamlin, who's the president of the VFW. She was in the Air Force, and she's running for um, what is the what is the name of it? There's a certain role, board of uh, trustees, or something. it was something to, for, for, to be the uh, the government of uh, the town of Nutley commissioner. She's running for commissioner, and they had mocktails too. They had one of them was called the Kamish Swish. It was a drink. I think it was like a lemonade kind of thing. Kamish Swish, because she's running for commissioner. And there was also like red, white, and blue drink or something. I don't know. Red, white, and blueberry. I think it was wild. It was awesome. And you know, she gave a speech at the beginning. We had met her a couple times. I remember, if you remember, uh, on the show I talked about going to a, a comedy show there. So she was there as well. You know, to raise money. What that wasn't for her campaign. The comedy that comedy show was wild. I talked about it a few months ago. So anyway, yeah, this was to sort of raise money for her campaign, and I signed up to put a uh, a sign on my lawn. Vegas, what's okay? Vegas needs to drink water from the sink. Come on, Vegas. This is Vegas Champ, the cat kitty. I know you want water. See, he, he's gotten into the habit. He loves when the, I fill the w- sink with water. Then. He can dip his paw in and lick the water off his paw. How did he learn to do that, by the way? They would say instinct, I think. 
morphic resonance, but that's a whole other topic. So, yeah, so this was paint and sip. Oh, but kitty, the water's there, kitty. What are you doing? Come on, have water. <coughs> yeah, so I, si I signed up, excuse me, I signed up to, uh, to put a sign on my lawn. I have never put a political sign on my lawn ever. It's kind of not my thing. It's, I feel really weird about it, but at the same time, it's, you know, someone my, again, my, my in-laws know very well, and, you know, what the heck, I'll support her, whatever. I don't know, I, I, I talked to her a little bit about, the only thing I really care about in Nutley is, uh, they keep saying they're going to build this giant apartment complex right behind my house, but of course, that's all stalled and has never happened, and who knows what's going to happen with that. Anyway. Uh, so I guess I'll put a sign on my lawn, whatever. It's all right. I'll do it. I'll put a sign. Listen, try anything once. Well, that may not be a good thing to say, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Apparently she did run before. I, I usually don't pay any attention to the local elections. Maybe I should. I don't know. By the way, it's snowing here, and uh, it's funny because um, this snowstorm looks like it's going to be, I don't know, four inches maybe, maybe a little bit more. Um, it's snowing now. It's really quite beautiful outside. It started overnight. And uh, look at this snow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have any particular intention going into this paint and sip. Uh, the, the, um, you know, when you go in, they show the painting <coughs> as it's supposed to be in the end. <coughs> and it is essentially a... So the background goes from, like, red to white, so it's mostly pink. There's like a white circle in the middle. And the painting is basically pouring wine into a wine glass, but the wine is sort of, by some mysterious force, being shaped into a heart as it's being poured into the wine glass. And then there's hearts and X's and O's all around. I'm looking at my wife's uh, version of it right here that she did. Now I, looking at my painting here, which you can see on the show art, um, I, I had none of the intention to do any of this, but um, I had done the circle and started doing a few hearts and stuff, but I got some black paint on the brush by accident, and I just saw this big kind of long blob of black paint on the brush, and rather than f f uh, swishing it in the water, I, uh, I'm like, this paint wants to be on the canvas. It was so weird. I was feeling something. Is this like the artistic intent? I don't know. So I just started applying it to the bottom and sort of interacting with the texture of the canvas. I know this all sounds rather cliche of thinking that you're an artist, but it just, it was kind of cool in the moment. I sort of felt something. I want to know if the final product, as you can see, it's kind of cool, it, but it kind of looks like the art that's in modern art museums that I always criticize as being like just a big mess, but... Um, I was feeling it, though. I was feeling it. If anything, I felt good. I don't know if what I produced was worthwhile, but... Um, so, yeah, so that sort of uh, let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. And um, so I was thinking about love. It's all about love. So I was thinking of that Beatles song. All you need is love, right? So I'd, I figured that phrase, there's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. All you need is love. <coughs> that song was in The Prisoner, if you remember, last episode. Yeah, I don't know. 
was wild. Anyway, so I, I started writing that. It's not so easy to write with this paint. At the top I wrote, there's nothing you can do that can't be done. <coughs> and uh, eventually it came time to uh, to draw the wine bottle and the wine glass, and they brought these stencils out. So I, instead of, they're like, you can trace it with a, a pencil. But I was already, like, so into it, I I sort of just put them on the canvas and sort of did brush strokes around them, as you can see. And uh, we were talking about pol- local politics and stuff, and I and I said the last person I voted for was a cartoon possum named Pogo. So I put the I go Pogo uh, slogan there. It also was 209. It was February 9th, you know, my connection to the number 209. Or, that's like my favorite number, 209. Um, and by the way, last episode was episode 2090, 209 times 10. I completely forgot. Can you believe it? And I did it the day before, 209. If I was really paying attention, I probably should have done episode 2090 on 209, but it was all off by, by a slight amount. So I did, I did actually um, include the binary number for 209, 1101001 in the painting as well. But then in the middle... I just I, did, I was struck by inspiration, and I just sort of like, what do I love? I love pinball, so I just in black I just drew a black heart and pinball. Love pinball, which is the name of today's episode. And then uh, my neighbor Fab, he's the guy. He, he, we went to his wedding, him and Sarah's wedding in Italy last year. He's like, well, you p- should put something for your wife. So in the lower left corner, I wrote, "Love you, D. Love you, Denise." You can see that. Um, also, at the same time, you know, uh, as I talked about last time, I believe, um, the Andy Kaufman Lives phenomenon has come back a little bit. I, I did that interview with John Carl Pepe a week or two ago, and uh, it's someone claiming to be uh, Steve Maddox, the Andy Kaufman guy from the the previous times it happened. We can't be sure it's him, but it seems to be him, actually, um, has sort of re-emerged on Facebook, and he was posting stuff, so I figured I would write Kaufman Lives, which also would be the name of that movie by John Lundberg, if that ever comes out. I don't think it's going to, though. So I wrote Kaufman Lives on there, and uh, I took a picture of it and sent it to them. I don't know if they got it, though. I also did kind of a lightning bolt, which I felt is kind of, feels kind of like the the Gatorade logo on the right there. (coughs) I sort of underlined pinball with a dark red stroke. And then at the bottom, I just was thinking of the TV show Laugh-In, kind of really randomly. <laughs> I, don't nece- I don't necessarily love that show. I have hardly seen it. I remember watching the early episodes a long time ago. I need to get back to watching Laugh-In. So this was all rather inspired. And then I realized, you know, sort of I, the wine bottle I drew, there is some wine coming up, but it's completely missing the glass, which I didn't realize till afterwards. Kind of, I sort of missed, missed the target, too, of trying to make a, a painting that matched what they were saying. I just was I just couldn't do it. So I sort of missed the mark. But I produced this, which I thought was actually cool. Then I signed it FEN twenty four, Frank Edward Nora twenty twenty four on the lower right. I don't know. It was it was it was a kind of a it was a good experience. It was like I sort of felt something. I felt uh, I felt the muse. Kitty. Here's Mojo Fuzzo the cat kitty. He's playing with my uh, headphone wire. Yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, just a strange feeling. I took a group picture with the candidate and everyone else holding my painting up. 
I, I sort of felt like, you know, I'm actually on my painting. I'm like, I go Pogo. I'm sort of <coughs> supporting a different candidate. Pogo Possum from way back when. <coughs> I think it was a variation on I Like Ike for Eisenhower. Yeah. <laughs> Old time politics. <laughs> well, there was that moment in, in the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, my God, the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was... Uh, so. Paint and sip was Friday. Listen, so much stuff has happened. It's so weird. This is only like four days since, a little over like four and a half days since uh, the end of the last episode. So much stuff has happened. It's a time of uh, high novelty in uh, novelty theory, it seems. Yeah, so that was Friday night. So Sunday was Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, we watched it. We actually set up the TV in the living room. We, we, you know, like when we moved in, there's really no good place to put a, t- a TV. And I kind of don't want a TV on my main floor, but we have one. I just stuck on a table here. Our two Joybird mid-century chairs. So we watched the Super Bowl, which, of course, was uh, the Chiefs versus the 49ers, which I really, you know, I, I think, like, everyone rooting against the Chiefs because of the whole Taylor Swift thing. You know, Taylor Swift is this uh, singer-songwriter, and she's become massively popular recently. And I get it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan, of course, of Fish, the band P-H-I-S-H. And I know the fandom is really super dedicated, and it's super, uh, it's a super rabbit hole to go down. Most people don't know it that much, so I understand people get annoyed if I talk about Fish too much, whatever. So I'm sure the Taylor Swift stuff, it's sort of like the same thing. They're in this intense fandom, which can be super interesting and pleasurable to be part of a fandom. But to outsiders, it just, it can get annoying, you know. Enough with this Taylor slant, you know. Now, me personally, I don't know her music. I tried listening to one of her concerts once. I kind of recognized a few songs, but it's just, you know, it's just not for me. It's not my style of music. There's nothing about her that I find compelling or interesting but I understand other people do and there's not and I, so I understand it being a being kind of a super fan of another group um, that's sort of like a sub it sort of becomes like a subculture but this past year the the news was that she was going out with or dating a football player named Travis Kelsey who's on the Chiefs who somehow is one of these sports teams you remember the past few years all the pressure on the sports teams that, that are named after something related to the American Indian. They changed their name. Most famously, the Washington Redskins changed their name to the Washington Commanders. And the, on the baseball side, the Cleveland Indians changed their name to the Cleveland Defenders, I think. <clears throat> yes, it's a painful process to go through, but it's sort of like ripping off a Band-Aid. Now they don't have to worry about it. Now they... Unless the next thing, I think commanders is sort of military-oriented. Is, is, is military-based teams going to be the next thing that's going to be taboo? I don't know. Defenders is even more generic. It's like you're defending something against something. <laughs> anyway. But other teams have not gone through the process yet, such as the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, not quite as extreme as the Redskins name and logo, but still, you know... They haven't done it yet. Maybe the pre- maybe the trend is off, so they don't have to worry about it. But there's also um, Atlanta Braves baseball team, and there's also a few other teams out there that still have the uh, 
American Indian situation going on. But anyway, this is a very winning team. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is sort of like this very talented quarterback. And, you know, besides being annoyed by the, like, so, so everyone talks about Taylor Swift is going to be there, so all the Taylor Swift fans have to watch football now. And they always show her on the TV broadcast, oh, there she is watching the game. And it's, so it's not just the Taylor Swift angle, which is being seemingly being forced down everyone's throat, and then also the fact that they're, they're just winning constantly makes them very easy to root against. Also, I think that um, in uh, <clears throat> just recently, I go in the past month or two, there seems to have been this very strange campaign in the mainstream media to refer to people talking about Taylor Swift being a conspiracy theory or psyop or op which I found very odd because you know like obviously being into conspiracy theories as I am the, the word psyop is very known to me a psychological operation you know that's put on by the intelligence community to achieve a certain end see the you know Laurel Canyon conspiracies that certainly was in the context of the theory a complete psyop where just to briefly state that conspiracy theory that uh, in the 1960s the military industrial complex realized that you know they would need to continue to create and run wars to make money but they thought that the young people would start to revolt and rebel the baby boomers the younger people was that actually yeah baby boomers yeah yeah, like like the kids that became teenagers and young adults in the 60s. Um, they felt they might rebel against or, or protest all these endless, perhaps needless wars. So they decided, instead of waiting for the youth anti-war movement to organically spring up, they would actually create it themselves, control the narrative, and then take it down. And that's seemingly what they did at Laurel Canyon... Uh, obscure neighborhood in Los Angeles uh, all of these young musicians moved there all of them seeming to have connections with um, the intelligence community military families old money families and this was um, the birds the doors Frank Zappa all these people there's, there's a book about it weird scenes inside the canyon they then created a youth movement, the hippies, then they discredited it, the youth movement. If you look at uh, mainstream comedies and media from the time, they're constantly re referring to hippies as being dirty and smelly and stupid. And finally, the Manson murders and Altamont, things like that. <clears throat> a total takedown of the hippies and the anti-war movement with it. That's a psyop, you know. But I didn't think that the average person, if they heard the word psyop, would kind of know what that even means. I, which I know that people are into conspiracy theories. I'm sort of glad that I am so familiar with it because, you know, I know mo most, of, most of the theories are BS, honestly. Obviously they are, but um, there, was a, there was a moment where, like, every newscast in America <coughs> said the same thing, like, is Taylor Swift a psyop? No, of course not. So in, on the pregame show of the Super Bowl, they um, they were interviewing Travis Kelsey, and uh, it was like a running back or something. I'm not sure. 
He's the guy that catches the football when the guy passes it. Listen, I'm not that into football, but yeah, anyway. And they're like, uh, what, what is it like being, having uh, tra uh, tra um, Taylor Swift as a girlfriend? It's like, oh, it's just been amazing. And, what do you say to the people that say it's all a conspiracy theory? They actually said that. Oh, those, those people are wrong. There's no such thing. And <laughs> whatever, whatever he said. No, those people are idiots. They're wrong. <laughs> but why do they keep bringing it up? And I guess the full theory is that her popularity and her awareness, people's knowledge of her will become so great that she'll then uh, control the outcome of the election as she can direct her legions of fans who perhaps might not normally vote, those that are a voting age, she can direct them to vote for whichever candidate she chooses, and then so she sort of becomes the kingmaker. She becomes, or whoever's controlling her, can now control presidential elections as we've seen in recent times. The elections are usually very close, especially in these swing states, and that the injection of a huge block of new voters could certainly uh, shift the election, right? considering how close it usually is. So that's the narrative of what they think is going to happen. <laughs> but I just thought it was odd that it was so, that this, trying to, it almost seems like they're trying to push the concept of conspiracy theories on people so they can look it up. And they're like, is it or isn't it? I think most people aren't even aware of that stuff. Anyway. Um, so yeah, the game, was it, it was a really kind of, like, so I sort of figured, like everyone, <clears throat> um, even before the game started, I told my wife, Denise, you know, it's going to be, you know, the 49ers are going to have the lead in the beginning, and it's going to be like, you know, eventually the Chiefs will have to climb their way back and eventually win the game from behind. And, of course, that is exactly what happened. Not to say it was scripted. No, it may have been scripted. But it was just annoying that it just sort of happened the way <clears throat> you'd think it would happen if it was all sort of scripted and faked. <coughs> and there's been a lot of allegations that a lot of sports that people bet on are compromised. I mean, it's not too much of a stretch to think that if you could control the outcome of these games, can you imagine how much money you could make in sports betting? And how much would you need to control? You wouldn't need everyone in on it. You'd need, you know, the offensive and defensive coordinators, the coaches maybe, the officials, the referees. It's another conspiracy theory. <coughs> um, so I watched the whole thing. It was, uh, the commercials were pretty univer uniformly awful. <coughs> Most of them seemed uh, super low effort. They just sort of hired random celebrities to be in their commercials in in sort of slightly weird situations and like very lazy. I guess they figured see product name, see celebrity, people will remember something like. But I read an article that they note that advertisers want to like play it safe and they don't want to do anything provocative or memorable. Because some companies have gotten a lot of backlash for their ads. So it was really kind of depressing. There was really none of the types of commercials that <clears throat> normally people would talk about. And in the past, a long time ago, maybe you could say, as I used to say, oh, I watch it for the commercials, not the game. 
was like a whole thing, right? It was like very fun to try to watch these commercials, and they were in the past very clever and different and exciting. Not so today. But there was one commercial that stood out. <laughs> uh, it was for the candidacy of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as independent for president of the United States. And um, <coughs> see if we can find the commercial. It was an old commercial for his uncle, John Kennedy, who was running in 1960. And they just sort of superimposed like his face on John F. Kennedy's face. <coughs> it was so utterly bizarre. It stuck out like a sore thumb. It was so weird. It was the most memorable thing of the night. Let's see if I can find this for you. Here it is. <clears throat> it's kind of like animated. Do you want a man for president who's seasoned through and through? A man who's old enough to know and young enough to do? Well, it's up to you. It's up to you. It's strictly up to you. American Value 2024 is responsible for the contents of this advertisement. So it was just, you know, completely, again, from 1960, a John F. Kennedy campaign ad. And they sort of just, you know, photoshopped RFK, his nephew, his face onto the the ad. And apparently it was a super PAC, a a super political action committee uh, that funded the ad, which apparently that cost them about $7 million to to buy the airtime for that commercial. It looks like to create the ad, it costs them about $7. <laughs> I mean, anyone, anyone could do that in any video program. Um, just bizarre. I, mean, I guess that's the reason that, you know, I, I'm talking about it. It was the only interesting thing on the entire show. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I guess that's the reason they did it. But apparently a super PAC or political action committee is, is, is under U.S. election laws un, is cannot collaborate with or have any communication with the actual candidates, which is weird. Um, campaign finance laws, you know. So, um, apparently, RFK Jr. came out and apologized for the ad the next day because it caused pain to his family, of other members of his family. And he's like, I had nothing to do with it. These people, you know. I mean, they're doing it on his behalf, but he apologized for it because it was so weird. But in, in the end, I think it's going to sort of help them. I think, you know, these days, you know, people are looking for, they're not going to want to vote whoever's going to be the candidates this year. And listen, by the way, I think in the United States, this, the concept of the president and the importance of the presidency and the endless years of hype for the elections is, I think, maybe ultimately perhaps not a healthy political system. Uh, But anyway, um, whoever's running, if it's going to be Biden versus Trump, I think a lot of people are going to want a protest vote. And Kennedy has a name recognition. I mean, I am going to... I, I have seen interviews with RFK Jr. I've heard some of his views. I would need to really see what his views are. If I'm, I don't believe I'm... It doesn't seem likely I'm going to vote for him. I have to find... Like, I'm going to actually vote for a candidate whose positions I agree with, believe it or not. I'm not going to hold my nose and vote for the lesser of two evils or three evils. I'm going to vote for someone that I agree with, and that's what I've been doing for a long time. The last two elections, I voted for this guy, Steve Saylor, kind of a YouTube gag candidate because he was talking about a concept that I think is important and no one talks about, which is a new kind of economy known as a resource-based or post-scarcity economy. So I actually voted for someone that I think was talking about something I agreed with. And everyone says I'm wasting my vote, this and that. Sure. 
That doesn't feel like a waste. It feels like if I voted for someone I hated, that would be kind of wasting my vote. <clears throat> Though it does seem like they're they're sort of floating these... Now they're floating a lot of stuff that Biden's not going to be the nominee because he's too old and has mental issues, dementia issues, whatever. They're creating... You know, the whole thing is the news creates narratives, right? And this is... <clears throat> supremely powerful. The stories that the news tells is incredibly powerful in terms of um, <clears throat> influencing the way people think and how they, they view the world. So that's where the conspiracies come in. This is the, one of the, perhaps the most powerful methods to, con- to influence what people think about and how they approach the world as the narratives in, in the mass media what do you think would be the, the most effective way uh, I think what people assume is that the actual events themselves are unplanned they're just random, they just happen and then it's the way the news spins it but wouldn't it be vastly more effective to create the narrative, to write the narrative oh cool, look, snow's falling off the trees in big chunks. That's awesome. That's a cool thing to see. The bar- various uh, evergreens, their their boughs le- laden with snow, falling off. Beautiful. It's beautiful, except I have to s- s- shovel it all up a little bit later. Got to do some shoveling. Should be. I think it should be over in about an hour or two, the- theoretically, from yesterday's forecast. Yeah. Anyway. Do you have any other notes about the Super Bowl? <laughs> of course, uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't see anyone like angrily call, referring to it as sports ball. I, I love when people who aren't into sports, they're like, oh, there must be a, some sort of sports ball event on. As soon as everyone's talking about it. <laughs> I love when people do that. Sports ball. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there's a few other things. Um, it's so funny. Um, I remember this product called Stoke. Um, it, it was, uh, and it was something I talked about on the show quite a bit, long time ago, early days of this show. It was S T O K with that little line over the O to make you know it's it's Stoke as opposed to stock S T O K. And it was a product they sold at like 7-Eleven. They didn't even sell it. It was free. It was basically these little cups, sort of the same size. You know, like they have those little cups of um, the creamer. It's like a little plastic cup with a a lid that's like plastic or foil or something, and you you pull it off and you pour pour it in your coffee. But this was sort of like extra caffeine for your coffee. It was like a, a mini cup of supercharged caffeine that you would pour in your coffee cup. It was called Stoke. And I even remember, like, remember I used to go on the website and it was this product that I just sort of assumed would come and go, and it did. It just sort of vanished. But then somehow the same product name, and it may have been the same company, came out with the um, what became popular. If you go to the supermarket, it's just these jugs of like black coffee that have been brewed. And I guess you just drink, you bring it home and drink. And I've gotten that a few times. But it was Stoke brand. I didn't realize it had become that popular. There's actually a Super Bowl ad for Stoke. I would I thought this was the most obscure like product that just came and went and now it's now, now it's so big it's on the Super Bowl I, I guess some big company must have bought it I didn't research it 
Also, one of the big advertisers on the Super Bowl was a T-E-M-U, which I thought was called Timu, but they're pronouncing it Tamu. And I, I am always seeing Tamu. I thought it was a scam like website where you try to order things from China, but you lose your money. Apparently not. Apparently it's a real thing. And I guess that made me... I guess I never would never... I, I see a ton of stuff. They, they, they give ads with these weird random products. I'm like, I'll never order from them. I'll get my credit card stolen or something. But I guess the fact that they were able to not just have one ad, but was like a major sponsor of the Super Bowl, I guess shows they're a legitimate company. I don't know. Tamu. T-E-M-U. Tamu? What is that? Is the schwa? Ta? Is that what Remember that whole thing with the schwa? The upside down lowercase e is called a schwa. When wasn't there some website called schwa.com or something? Or some sort of art collective called schwa? Yeah. Names of characters like the Interrobang. It's a Exclamation mark and the question mark combined. That didn't really catch on either. And then there's the pound sign, or known as the Octothorpe, or hashtag sign. But anyway, yeah, so I thought that was odd that this company I assumed was a scam was actually a big company. Yeah. And um, there was an ad for the, a new Deadpool movie. You know, the superhero Deadpool wears a red costume. I guess Ryan Reynolds play, uh, plays him. I guess it's now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there's, there's, it's going to be Wolverine is going to be in it too, but um, yeah, I mean, I just it just it's just all so tiresome really with the superhero movies. But they were playing uh, Alan. There's the theme. The music they were playing during the commercial was Alan Parsons Project. It's a song called Serious, and you know it's a song everyone knows because they played a lot of sporting events. It's dan dan dan. Oh, let me play it for you just. A let me see if I can find the Deadpool trailer, their Deadpool commercial. But I just loved, I'm a huge fan of Alan Parsons' project, and I think most people are not. It was even the butt of a joke in one of the Austin Powers movies like a million years ago. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. But it doesn't matter. It's Alan Parsons' project. I love Alan Parsons' project. No, hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Is the official trailer? I don't know if it's going to have Alan Parsons in it. Let's see. Today's game is Texas Hold'em Poker. Ah, shut up with these Our ads. Our player has received a 10 and a K. Shut up. Happy birthday! See, they don't seem to be playing it in the in the actual trailer. I didn't even watch the actual trailer. And again, these movies are so bad. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is so horrible in so many ways. I was such a huge fan of Marvel comics when I was a kid in the 80s. Teen in the 80s. Hold on, let me see if I can find this. See, it may be hard to find because it was referencing the full trailer. Hmm. So the commercial may be hard to find, but anyway. Let's just, let me just, I, I mean, I'll just find the song. S-I-R-I-U-S, by the way, not the other serious. Though, of course, Alan Parsons' project is seriously good. You know this song. I had this album at the time. This is such a great album. Eye in the Sky, one of their best. You know this song. You know that song. I guess this is this is just sort of an instrumental introduction, you know, to the album, but it probably became one of the most popular songs ever. 
anyway, I was kind of impressed with that, just to hear some Alan Parsons project. And uh, there was, we didn't see it, but apparently there was a Tony Romo, one of the, I guess, I guess if you're a, 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 a quarterback in the NFL, eventually you could become like a, an announcer on, on, on football games. Like Tony Romo, I guess, is a guy that used to be the quarterback of the Cowboys, and now he's an announcer. I guess it's a good career change. You can't play football anymore, but you want to be involved. And he's like, well, yes, there was a streaker, a partial streaker, who got tackled, but we can't show that. We can't talk about it. It's a weird moment. And, and the game itself was actually really boring. There was almost no scoring, and it was all sort of no one even got a first down. It was such a boring game. Of course, in the end, it was overtime. It got exciting towards the end. And, of course, yes, can't, the Kansas City Chiefs came from behind. But So I went on X.com, the former Twitter, and saw some footage of this quote-unquote streaker, but it was just some dude with white pants, and his, he took his shirt off and ran onto the field and was immediately tackled. Listen, if you're going to do that, go all the way. Take off all your clothes. Don't be a partial streaker. Be a full streaker, please. I remember streaking was a... Uh, it was like a trend at one point. See, people can be convinced to do anything. Remember, like in the 70s, hey, let's all get naked and run around. Why? <laughs> It'll upset people. It's a big fad. Well, there was a naked dude that was at a fish concert, but he was like on major drugs. And then he died, but they actually uh, referenced him in their... Uh, New Year's Eve show a couple of, uh, not this past year but the year before the naked dude but yeah how do you like what a crappy keep your pants on as a streaker what a, what a what a failed streaking incident just don't do it then <clears throat> I wonder what happened to the guy let's see if there's any follow ups did he get like uh, arrested because then someone else climbed the sphere and got arrested I guess there's just people looking for attention let's see about the streaker Super Bowl streaker Oh, yeah, and the other nerdy response to sports ball is uh, the superb owl. You know, if you take the word Super Bowl and you just shift one letter, it becomes a superb owl. So there's an article. All the superb owls you can play in video games on the Nintendo Switch. Let's see. Any follow-up? Two fans arrested after running on field. Oh, there were two of them. Okay. There's no streaker. Listen, unless your pants are off, you're not streaking. You're just an asshole. <laughs> the Las Vegas Police Department arrested two people Sunday night as they, after they jumped onto the field. And these tickets for this game are like 10000 The cheapest tickets for the Super Bowl is like ten grand a piece. And they, they missed a lot of the game because they, they, they stroke. What was the past participle of they stroked? <laughs> I don't know. They streaked. They semi-streaked. Okay. We've got people on the field, CBS announcer Tony Romo said as two shirtless fans ran on the field during the third quarter, right before the Kansas City Chiefs kicker Harrison Butker netted a 57-yard 57 57-yard 57 field goal. Got a streaker, partial streaker, Romo responded. Oh yeah, there, there they are, the streakers. At least I see one of them, I don't see the second person. Officials said the fans were each arrested on a charge of prohibited conduct at an athletic event, a misdemeanor. Both men remained jailed Monday morning as Clark County Detention at a Clark County Detention Center spokesperson told USA Today they were released on their own recognizance, meaning they promised to appear in court at a later date to face their respective charges. 
their, their, their court date is April 17th. Wow. Anyway. Yeah, it was yeah, kind of a dull Super Bowl overall, I would say. A little bit later now, snow's still coming down. There'll be a lot of shoveling later. So I ran into some site hosting issues. I, I, I host my sites on dreamhost.com. I think I've been there, if I had to guess, 18, 19 years with the same web host. And it's all it was all going very smoothly. I was always amazed at these kind of massive websites I run, and it's so cheap. It's like $12 a month or something. Um, so a couple years ago, they started cracking down on the amount of data I had in there saying, you know, it's too much data, even though originally the plan was for unlimited data. They're like, yes, it is unlimited data, but you're not allowed to have archives on your site. It's not file archives, repositories. It has to all be for the website. And I'm like, well, it is for the website. It's a podcast. Here's all the... This is years ago, right? And they're like, well, we understand that, but you you can only have, like, let's say the last year of uh, files on there. You, you can't just have, like, like 20 years of files on our site for the $12 plan. And they do offer... They did offer, you know, when they deleted files, they do send them over to a cloud storage system they have called Dream Objects. But there was no, there's no way to easily relink all the files to the, the website. You'd have to relink everything by hand, and you're talking about thousands or <laughs> potentially even tens of thousands of links. Um, so I ran into this issue with them before. Plus, there's this other section of the site, another login called Ramplers, which is is. You know, when I initially started having other people post their own shows on the channel, I figured, you know, I better sort of make an isolated area for everyone else to upload their shows, and then my area would be untouched by other people. Because, right, weirdly, they don't allow multiple FTP logins to the same website, right? Or just to a folder on the website. It's, so I had to create this whole cockamamie system with another login, and then these subdirectory remappings I have to do, all this other stuff. But it looks to them like I'm just running some sort of file sharing network or something. So last time it happened, I, I had to tell them, yes, you know, I, 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 this is legitimate. These files are all being presented on the website. It's not a file repository. It's not file sharing, whatever. So they agreed with it. This time was like the worst. They just deleted the entire Ramplers section completely. Everything. They just wiped it out. And so I, I'm appealing that decision. I think they thought it was an illegal file sharing operation. Again, I guess they don't look into the history of, of the customer support to see the explanations. They just wiped it out. <clears throat> now, of course, I do my monthly archiving, and they also moved everything to Dream Object, so the files are not deleted per se, though they will be deleted after 60 days if I don't pay for Dream Object, which, again, I would pay for it, but I you have to sort of re you'd have to relink everything by hand. And if I'm going to relink everything by hand, I could just relink things off the Internet Archive or whatever, you know. Anyway, I'm not particularly complaining about this because it's been such a good deal. I've been amazed at how good a deal it's been. And they have been pretty lenient over the years in terms of data usage. Um, so, yeah, right now, a lot of the older shows on the site won't play, but I did make sure the old images were there last time this happened. This time, you know, it's really, you know... Everything is archived on the Internet Archive, and I have it locally up to the end of last month, January 2024. And I did make sure to... I, last night, I downloaded all of the uh, February files, which there were very few in there, like seven files. Downloaded them locally. They should be available for at least 60 days. But 
now people won't be able to upload their shows and um, a lot of the old show art will be missing and lots of old shows won't play. It's all in the Internet Archive and the show art is also there. But of course, it's not as easy. So uh, it's a drag. It's annoying. I mean, I can always, you know, make a, make a new account, a new Ramplers account. I hope they just reinstate it. I just asked them to reinstate the last year of files because that's what they agreed to last time. I mean, I know it's just these random, probably not even a person, probably just sort of automated AI just deleting all these files. I wish they would make a path to relink everything, but they don't. They just dump thousands and tens of thousands of files on this dream object cloud storage. And yeah, anyway, again, it's been real cheap and it's, you know, been like this for a while. And, you know, I, I think that um, <clears throat> I could imagine a whole new website for Onsug Radio um, that would have all the shows restored and have a much better interface and everything. But, and I'd love to do that eventually. I mean, eventually I want, yeah, I want it to be its own object, its own thing, a book in virtual reality that has all the stuff in there. So nothing is lost. It's just, it's just a great inconvenience. And for anyone that is posting shows on the channel, um, if I don't get this resolved, I'll restore the shows that, some of the shows I can manually restore the last couple of months of shows, I suppose. So it's going to be a drag. I'll at least of course, restore the ones that, uh, from February, but I'm, I think they'll probably meet halfway somewhere, hopefully. Um, but it's, yeah, it is kind of a drag. I mean, I've been a bit neglectful of the website because it is a lot of work to try to keep stuff going. It just barely, barely keeps going. Um, but nothing is lost, and we can recover from any of this. And if you have any questions, just email me, frank at theovernightscape.com, and, you know, about these technical issues we're having. I'm hoping it should be resolved in a few days. If not, oh well, we'll fix it. We'll fix it one way or the other. Anyway. So, yeah, so much stuff happened the past few days. Like, right after I finished last episode, uh, as I was getting on the bus... I saw the news that uh, Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, had been released on X.com, the former Twitter. So I started watching it on the bus. Actually, while I was standing in line, I started watching it. Um, <clears throat> I would say that, you know, as Tucker Carlson used to be a host on Fox News, and I used to occasionally watch like some YouTube videos of his monologues occasionally. I know my brother was watching them as well. Um, and then when he got fired and had the show on X, I watched a few of his things on there. I have to say, you know, uh, he has some interesting guests, but I, you know, I'm not a, a big fan of his. I'm certainly not going to subscribe to his turn, you know, his, uh, Tucker Carlson network. It looks like, uh, his, the logo for it looks like, uh, like the Nashville network or Turnal or TNN. It just looks like, it looks like a, like one of those old cable channels. Like maybe that's what he's trying to channel, but, um. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting that he's, you know, he's in he's in Russia going to interview President Putin. So I watched it on the bus and then at, at home. It's like over two hours long, this interview with uh, Vladimir Putin. And and uh, I, I sort of I'm, I don't think there was much new information in there. There was really nothing insightful. People said it was boring. Most of it was just Vladimir Putin talking about, like, Russian history, which I found mildly interesting. It was also kind of interesting to see Vladimir Putin's personality. Um, he's sort of like a... He has, and his sense of humor. I had really never seen that before. 
Um, but in terms of what was said, I don't really think there was much new that was uh, put it together. It was interesting to watch, but in the end, it was kind of, um, yeah, n no revelations, no bombshells or anything. And, you know, you, I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I know the, the subject of Russia has been so polarized in issues. I mean, if you want to take him at his word, Putin saying that he has no aims of territorial expansion. He wants to end the war. And in the past, he tried to become part of NATO and tried to be more like he's saying all these things. And if it's true, great. We don't want to have to have some sort of nuclear war then we'd have to spend all that time and energy shifting to a timeline where there wasn't a nuclear war. Oh, wait, haven't we already done that a bunch of times? Only in theory. Only in theory. We don't want no nuclear war. It's too much of a hassle to shift timelines. <laughs> yes. What happens to people in the timeline where there was a nuclear war? You shift timelines, but are those people still there? Or do they even exist anymore? Good question. <laughs> I don't know. I guess when it comes to timelines, you kind of kind of look out for number one, right? Remember that whole phrase back in the seventies, looking out for number one yourself. I don't know. I always wonder about that. Well, of course, this is all speculation. We don't know if there's alternate timelines, alternate dimensions, alternate realities. We don't know. We don't really know. Suspect. Are there other? Are there probably other realities. I don't know, but you know. What about the people in the in the reality you left behind? Are they still there? Are are you still there in in some form? Or can you just turn it off? Can you just sort of flip a switch and that reality no longer exists? No one has to experience it. It's a good question. Timelines, consciousness, reality, all sorts of things. Um, yeah, so ultimately it was the interview was just kind of, and I and I don't really, you know, I, I I am getting annoyed by Tucker Carlson, his personality. He has this sort of like fake shock on his face. And he's well, oh, oh, of, of course that's the way it is. Like he's just, it, he's, he seems so disingenuine when he does that. He's annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just thought the lead up to it, where people were expressing outrage that he would do it. Like who cares? Do the interview, watch it, take your own, take your own, do your own analysis of it. Who cares? It's more information, the better. You know. But he started off talking about like the year 800. It was awesome. I wonder how people do that. Like they can translate in real time. Is that like you can hear someone talking and then you talk? That's got to be some kind of skill. I can't even imagine. I know people do that. Like in the, like in the UN, you always see those people, those giant earpieces in the past, and there's these translators. You can hear someone talking and translate it in another language, like continuously. It's, 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 I guess you can learn to do that. <coughs> that sounds so aggravating to do. <coughs> but I guess if you practice enough, it just sort of becomes second nature. It's wild. I think that's how it works, unless there were time delays involved that they edited it out. I don't know. Because I guess I guess Putin was also hearing translations of Tucker Carlson's very few questions. He would like Tucker Carlson would ask a question, and Vladimir Putin would talk for like twenty five minutes. <laughs> anyway, that was uh, kind of fun, but kind of I felt kind of empty in the end. Yeah. In other news, also on Sunday, earlier in the day than the Super Bowl, um, my nephew Nate 
is uh, is on his um, high school. He's in high school, and he's on the high school wrestling team, right? And uh, I, and I've been hearing that the last week that they're doing really well, and they're approaching the the playoffs, whatever the equivalent of the playoffs, uh, to get into the finals for the state of New Jersey wrestling championships. And um, you know, it's funny. Like it's it's wrestling like the actual sport wrestling, not professional wrestling. It's so weird, right? Because a lot of uh, high school sports, like high school football, it, it very much resembles the pro game, right? It's sort of the NFL and high school football, kind of similar. Obviously, it's a different level of play, but they're using a football, a field, and it's all kind of similar. And the same with a lot of the sports, you know, that they're very similar to the pro sports, but wrestling is so completely different. Like, like amateur wrestling is like an actual sport. It's not fake. It's actually this sport of like grappling and pinning and things like that. But the professional wrestling is completely different. <laughs> like, like there's no, is there, ever, is there a professional wrestling of that kind of wrestling? Or it's all this, the fake sports entertainment of these big personalities. I'm going to crush you, you know. And it's all scripted. It's all fake. So where is that? What, I guess that there is, that's such a weird divide between the two things. Like, I guess if you're really, if you're a really good wrestler in high school, like, there is no pro version of that. You have to become like an actual like character in, in the fake wrestling. I don't know. It's weird. But anyway, they were doing really good. And um, apparently the whole team, um, they all dyed their hair like bleach blonde um, as a sign of solidarity in their journey to wrestling a championship. And so I wasn't really following the games. I just heard, you know, third hand through my wife and, and uh, that they were doing really well. And then... I guess on Friday, I believe they they won and they reached the finals. So the, so it's broadcast on a website. So we 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 uh, we tuned in to watch. It's very awkward. It's a website, so we have like a Roku stick, and we had to go into some weird AirPlay mode on my wife's iPhone and type all this stuff in to kind of watch it on the TV, and it was like stuttering. And but anyway, we were watching it. Unfortunately. Nate's match was the very first match, and they started the broadcast after, right after his match, so he missed it. But um, I forget they were playing Mount Olive, I think. Now, apparently, and what we didn't—I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything about this, the actual sport of wrestling or how they do it, but I picked up some details while I was watching it. Um, it seems that there are seven divisions in the state of New Jersey. Each has its own champion, so there's not, like, one state champion, apparently. I was kind of confused by that. There's five sections for public schools, and there's two, it seems, for private schools. So they are in, like, group four, right? Which I guess they, I guess, I guess they, I, I would have thought all seven groups would then fight for the, they, I guess they don't do that, though. There's no additional stage, so you can be the, I guess that's how they do it in some of those sports. Oh, cool, look, more snow falling from the trees. That's so cool. What the hell is that? It looks like some big tree branches fell next to my garage. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was like they were fighting Mount Olive, and I guess what they do is there's a, there's a series of one-on-one matches. I, gu- I guess they don't do like cage matches like in professional wrestling. They just do like one-on-one with similar weights. I guess a series of matches and. Depending on how you do, you get a certain number of points. But so they were falling way behind. Talk about the same, that sort of come from behind narrative. They were falling way behind Mount Olive. But then towards the end, 
they started coming back and it came down to the final match and Ridge won my nephew's uh, high school team won the championship of group four and so it was huge for them I was so happy for them again it's not something that I'm super familiar with I guess they had the I guess it was at a Rutgers stadium in Piscataway New Jersey where the finals were it was Jersey Mike Stadium I guess named after that Jersey Mike's chain of submarine sandwiches whatever you call them in it's a type of sandwich they had different names for subs, hoagies, grinders, you know. They're more like called subs because they, they resemble the, the water going craft, the submarine to some extent. It looks like a submarine. We'll call it a submarine sandwich. I love seeing the snow falling off the trees. That's so cool. Should I set up a camera to watch it? Nah. That'd be a cool simulator to make online like a Snow falling on trees simulator, and then you can sort of... I'm sure someone's done it already. Eventually the snow starts falling. When the, when the, the branches are so light laden with snow, it starts falling off. I guess it's like a mini avalanche, really. If, if, you, if you zoom in to the branches and the snow starts piling up, the weight of the snow on top of the other snow starts pressing down, and eventually it just sort of uh, falls, and it becomes like a chain reaction. <clears throat> it looks like pretty fluffy snow, like dry snow. Hopefully it won't be that hard to shovel. I mean, it really only looks like it's about three or four inches at this point. I think it's supposed to end by two or three this afternoon. That's when I'll do my shoveling. And in other news, uh, look at this. The news, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, will hit theaters again in May. So yeah, they're going to re-release The Phantom Menace from 1999, 25 years later. I may have to go see it in the movie theater because that movie, I think more than any other movie, um, it just gets better and better with time and the more times you view it. Um, I saw it in 99 at uh, the General Cinemas at Clifton Commons and it had just opened and it was a very exciting moment and they in fact were showing the movie 24 hours a day and I just remember going there before work one day to see The Phantom Menace. I went there for like the 3.30 or 4.15 a.m. showing of Phantom Menace in 99. It was the greatest thing ever, going to see a Star Wars movie before you go to work. It was me and two other people were in the theater that were asleep. <laughs> it was the only people in there. But, um, yeah, the lead-up to this movie was insane. Um, this movie, I think, is one of the... I don't know what the right word for it, the most significant movies ever in terms of its the anticipation, the reaction, and then I think the reappraisal, I would think, not just me, a lot of people are reappraising it, but, um, you know, the, the first Star Wars movie came out in 77, made it a massive impression on my generation. I became a lifelong fan. Three years later, 1980, Empire Strikes Back comes out just as good, if not better, than the original. Absolutely fantastic. Find out Vader is Luke's father. Introduces Yoda. So much great stuff. Star Wars is the best. It's the greatest. Flying high. And then in 83 comes Return of the Jedi, which was a bit disappointing. And I remember being disappointed when I saw it. The Ewoks uh, were the worst. And uh, just in general, it wasn't great. Then we expected there would be more Star Wars movies, but no, um, there were no more. What happened? The 80s wear on, 
the 90s were on. Finally, at some point in the mid-90s, they announced there was going to be a new Star Wars movie. Everyone's so excited. So it's going to be a 15-year gap, right? Is it 50? Yeah. Or 16-year gap between the movies. And considering how important Star Wars is, yeah, I mean... It was a huge hype. And though it didn't say it in the first release of Star Wars in 77, uh, it, that movie eventually became titled Episode Four: A New Hope. So that trilogy was the middle of the story, so this new trilogy was going to be the beginning of the story. Episodes 1, 2, and 3, sort of how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader? So a lot of people, like me, who were so into Star Wars, uh, they wanted no spoilers. They, didn't, they wanted to go experience the movie fresh without knowing anything about it. I, on the other hand, am completely pro-spoilers. I wanted to hear every spoiler I can get, and it was an amazing experience, which could probably not be reproduced. I don't know how you could sort of reproduce that experience of week after week, month after month, um, going all these various websites, all the rumors and everything, <clears throat> the initial rumors of this weird alligator-like creature named Jar Jar that was going to be in the movie, eventually audio leaks. and it was I was so into it, and I was just following for years following it. So by the time the movie came out, I pretty much knew the whole movie before I even saw it because of all the spoilers. And I was pretty ambivalent towards it. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Uh, but, of course, many people were extremely upset by the movie, saying that it was a famous phrase, it raped my childhood, yeah. Um, because the movie was um, poorly um, directed and poorly edited, um, but everything else about it was all right. The story was good. That, I think, is what was lost in this whole thing. The story was good. It's just that George Lucas himself, who's great at world building, really shouldn't have written and directed it himself, as he is not as talented in that regard. Though he did it with the first movie, I think that was a bit of a fluke. So people were upset with it. It has a lot of structural flaws. But um, as time went on, I, I think that the initial shock uh, people had, and the anger towards the movie, even the hype leading up to it, the toys, they overproduced the toys, and people were trying to collect it. I remember going to Toys R Us at midnight to get Star Wars toys. It was, um, it was a big mess. It was a big disappointment. Um, <clears throat> and then the other two movies, I think... Again, in retrospect, I, th I think all of these prequel movies just get better and better with age because, this, to me, the execution was a bit botched, but the story is strong. And the botched execution creates a lot of fun, memorable, quotable moments in the movies, right? That, that as I've watched Phantom Menace many times, I just I love it more and more, and it's, um, it just ages like a fine wine, let's say. Oh, I have a weird wine to talk about, too, on the show. Um, to the point that, that there's this whole prequel memes and it's become a whole thing unto itself. And when Lucasfilm was sold to Disney and Disney started making Star Wars movies, then we saw what bad Star Wars movies really could be. Movies that didn't just have a box that botched execution with a good story, but that were horrible stories, horrible all around. Nothing about them was good. 
I mean, I guess Force Awakens was passable, but the other ones were dreadful. I mean, Solo and Rogue One were okay, I guess, but not great. Then they moved to doing, they stopped making movies, and now they're doing TV shows, and that's a real mixed bag as well. But anyway, Phantom Menace, I would say, is the best of the prequels. Such a quotable, awesome movie. Of course, young Anakin Skywalker. Totally changing the way, I mean, like, you know, when I watch the original Star Wars now, and that opening scene where they blow open the door and the blockade runner and Vader comes out with the breathing, tear this ship apart, find me the passengers, I want them alive. Like, when we first saw that, we're like, oh my God, this is the coolest villain ever. Now you're like, that's frick, that's that frickin' little kid that went, yippee. It's so sad. And he thinks he killed Padme, his, his, the love of his life. You know, it's uh, tragic. It totally changes the way you see the movies. And I do think it's a good story. It's just, yeah, the <clears throat> there's that video. I, don't, I really don't know the name of the guy, but he made like a four-hour-long critique of it. Remember that whole thing? And he was joking. He had people like tied up in his basement. Funny joke guy. What was who was that guy? Anyway, and I eventually was able to download. I gotta find it. Um, an extended version where someone edited in all the deleted scenes, and that's even better. Especially sort of you know sort of the nerdy obsession with uh, characters and stuff. I love the pod racers and to know all the different pod racers. And then the extended cut. There's a lot more of the pod racers that you see that you don't really see too much in the uh, original. Love that Phantom Menace. So I think I'll have to go see it in the theaters. Probably at the same theater I saw it in 25 years ago. That was really 25 years ago? Eh. Time. Time is going very fast. That was 25 years ago, 1999. Another weird experience over the weekend. I've been, uh, I guess, Friday, I've, you know, I, I look at the f- Google feed on my phone, and they were mentioning some low-budget sci-fi time travel movies that I found interesting, so I jotted them down. And I actually watched two of them over the weekend, two low-budget sci-fi movies. But it made me think about, like, wasn't there... I was a while back, there was this movie, and it was, like, shot in infrared, and it was, like, a video game. Like, what was that all about? I vaguely remembered it. So I searched for, like, video game-like movie shot in infrared, and I found out the name of the movie is Agro Drift by... Harmony Corinne. I don't. I don't think I've seen many movies by Harmony Corinne. I know he was also a guest on David Letterman. He caused trouble. I don't know. I think I missed that all the first time around. Feels a bit like a pep, but who knows? <laughs> My suspicion that reality in the past is being edited. No proof for it though. <laughs> um. So I'm like, okay, Agro Drift. Whatever happened with that movie? So I looked it up. It's Agro Drift, where the, the I in Drift is the number one, to try to reference Leet Speak, rather cringy uh, way of spelling things uh, in the past. Now even Leet Speak is like old-fashioned, it's retro. Um, and I saw, it was like just that day or the day before, Agro Drift premieres at Los Angeles Strip Club. <laughs> I guess this guy enjoys being uh, controversial. So I'm like, I just thought of it, and it was just premiered today? Let, let, let me let, let me see if that article... I guess you still can't see it. Apparently it premiered at that... Um, when I was in Venice, the Ven- I went to the Venice Film Festival. 
I didn't see that though. I saw that movie first thing in the morning, that horrible movie. Remember that whole thing? The Penitent. Uh, Harmony Kroon's L.A. debut of his new film Agro Drift was an odd and artistic spectacle At a Hollywood club Filmmaker and artist found the ideal context For his polarizing Florida noir film So Florida noir This is like a new thing Because I know that um, The next Grand Theft Auto game I used to play those games. I mean, I played Grand Theft Auto V a bit. I think when I had one of the PlayStations, the two or the three, up and running. Um, but of course, one of their big games was a long time ago was Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and took place in in a version of Miami. That's they sort of renamed the city. Vice City as like Miami, kind of a play on Miami Vice. And since then, whenever that was ninety nineteen ninety whatever. Florida has become this separate thing and the whole Florida man phenomenon it seems like people are just doing like weird and crazy things in Florida all the time so it looks like the whole game is going to be based on that Florida man character or that whole trope of people going nuts in Florida so is it Florida noir is like a new thing I don't know Um, anyway let's see what they say about aggro drift did I I miss it? I don't know Uh, for two consecutive nights last week at the Hollywood Club Crazy Girls Entertainment Polymath Oh, how do you get to be a polymath? <laughs> Harmony Curran screened Agro Drift the, deb- the debut film of his, of his Miami-based company Edgelord E-D-G-L-R-D Yes Whatever happened to Edgelords? That's another thing that I guess is a thing of the past It was a slang term for usually young men that would um try to act all tough and mysterious and pose with like guns and body armor on or something ooh you're a real edgelord shot entirely in infrared the 80 minute film has both a retina burning acidic palette as well as a 36% rating on Rotten Tomatoes you might also recognize a few of its scenes from the Dayglow colored paintings Corinne made for his debut Hauser and Worth show in downtown LA in September I have no idea what they're talking about like an art gallery Hauser and Worth I don't know what that is Oh yeah, there's a picture inside the strip club with the movie screen. Let's see if we can uh, trailer. Here's the trailer for Agro Drift from Edge Lord Productions. No more, no more truths. Is it really shot in infrared, or is it just like an effect? I don't know. They're saying it's infrared. It is. Isn't that just like the temperature or something? Or? I am the world's greatest assassin. Great. Why does everything have to be so violent? Well, I guess if you're an edgelord, violence is uh, an aspect of your uh, your stuff. All right, that looks okay. <laughs> I guess I'll see it when it's on streaming. I don't know. Is it going to be on streaming, or do I? Is it going to be like on tour on strip clubs around the world? Around the world, I don't know. Don't know. But yeah, these movies I saw, um, low budget sci fi films. Uh, the first one was called Alien Code, and the premise is pretty good. It's a movie from 2017. That's also a long time ago now. Somehow, 
Um, it starts off, I guess, in, even in the trailer, like it's like this guy goes, wakes up one morning and finds himself dead on the carpet, and there's a, uh, a flash drive that says "Watch me," and it's himself from the future telling him stuff. <laughs> I love that kind of. I mean, it's actually a great way to start a movie, <clears throat> and the whole movie is kind of, and it's very kind. It's low budget, no name actors or anything in it. No, there is actually Mary McCormack, who played Howard Stern's wife in in the movie, Private Parts. Yeah, I guess her career hasn't been going too well. But anyway, it's a, so she was in it, Mary McCormack. Oh look, we got a delivery from uh, FedEx. Wow, see, they have to go, come out in the snow. What is it though? Better get it on before it gets covered in snow. Um, yeah, so the movie like there's this satellite from the future and. This weird agent, this weird company hires him to decode it and stuff. And I think that was just an alert that someone was just on my porch. <coughs> yes, I saw it with my own eyes. Um, yeah, and then there's aliens in it that look exactly like the like the aliens from uh, the, or the people from the future from Fringe towards later in the series. Um, and then I think sort of kind of amazingly, the movie ends in a complete a complete like a non-ending a completely nihilistic non-ending which seemed so strange because I think that doing something like that is an artistic statement that you have to sort of the rest of the movie has to sort of be hefty enough to justify such a bizarre pointless and uh, you know what's the, what's the word um, I'm looking for a word hold on you know, whatever, unsatisfying ending. There's another word I'm looking for, but. Um, so it it just, and I read somewhere, someone's like, oh, we, we, we wanted to honor the scriptwriter's vision. There's no vision. I mean, it just ruins the movie. It kind of reminds, and I, I understand it. I've seen other low-budget movies where it starts off strong and then it just falls apart at the end. It almost sort of feels like the creative process, as as you know, if you're creative, it starts off, there's this euphoria, and you're inspired at the beginning, and it just gets harder and harder and harder to figure out, and it just gets worse and worse, so it's almost like the movie follows that same pattern, starts off strong, then just sort of fades into oblivion. So, yeah, I mean, I really wouldn't recommend it. It's not great, but if it if, if it had a reasonable ending... An ending, not to say you can't use that kind of ending in a movie, but it just doesn't work in this case. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't really re- recommend it, but it was uh, it was interesting, I guess. It reminded me somewhat of, just in terms of the structure of starting strong and then falling apart at the end, was, remember that movie Dave Made a Maze? Sort of a surreal movie about this guy that is depressed and builds a a fort out of cardboard boxes in his living room, but it turns out to be this whole like world inside this cardboard world he created. Great, great premise, loved it. After he reached the halfway point, the whole thing just collapsed and fell apart. <laughs> I mean, it's wild. Um, I would say that the second movie I watched, I, fa- I, I was looking for reviews of Alien Code and one of them, one of the reviews on Reddit was like, well, this is the second freakiest movie I've seen this year. The first place goes to Manifest Destiny Down, Space Time, 2019. 
So I'm like, all right, if it's that mind-blowing, maybe I should watch this movie called Manifest Destiny Down, Space Time. Um, this is a very different uh, kind of movie. <coughs> um, it, it's basically, so the premise is guy and girl, college student, they wake up and the whole world has been evacuated. They're the only two people left on Earth. What are they going to do? Um, and it really brought to mind, like because the guy is like a, like a genius, but he's like a stoner genius guy. Kind of brought to mind, um, you know, obviously the movie Real Genius. But also, I, I don't think I ever saw Young Einstein, but it kind of feels like that too. Um, this guy who's like, who's like a, a physics genius, but he's also this like weird stoner guy. So he wakes up with this beautiful fellow student in his bed. And uh, they have to figure out what's going on. And it's one of these kind of movies that's super indulgent, self-indulgent in terms of mixing live action with animation and all freewheeling like that, which is a form that I believe increases the degree of difficulty of bringing a movie together. So this movie just, it almost smacks of some, almost like a, a, I don't want to say a vanity film, but it just sort of feels like a vanity project or a super self-indulgent product project. And I could tell the guy that made it, there is a movie, there is a good movie in there somewhere, but it had such a high degree of difficulty, it just did not uh, quite work. That was a, you know, I, as I remember when I reviewed that movie, Poor Things, which is a major motion picture, um, very, very, it had the stylized stuff and it was very, a very high degree of dif difficulty, but they actually pulled it off in that case. In this case, it's this very fast and loose and um, very stylized with lots of like flash edits and weirdness. Um, and then it's like this Terminator guy character who turns out he's actually the guy that made the movie. I guess the whole premise is that the guy, the kid, the physics kid, like figured out the secret of the universe and wrote it on a piece of toilet paper, but then wiped his ass with it and flushed it down the toilet. And that caused all these universes to sort of intermingle and this weird Google-like company to like teleport everyone off of Earth or something. Didn't really make a whole hell of a lot of sense. You could sort of see the vision behind it, watching it. But uh, it didn't work. I can't recommend it as a movie. Um, it's not good. But interestingly, the the, the actors, um, the uh, the girl is played by Lexi Lowell, and uh, she was pretty good in it. They both were. I guess the only thing really good about the movie is their sort of their chemistry and their they were kind of likable. Um, as as sort of a they had some chemistry as a couple. But turns out she's actually a pop harpist. Uh, the only other pop harpist I can think of is uh, is Joanna Newsom. Was that her name? Joanna Newsom. That's from a long time ago too. She she was a singer songwriter, but she used a harp instead of a guitar or anything. So Lexi Lowell actually has a like. There's some videos of her like playing harp in front of like having harp concerts and stuff. It's kind of interesting, but I don't know. The videos don't have very many views, so I don't know what's going on with her, but uh, 
Yeah, ultimately it was really self-indulgent and half-baked and uh, kind of unfortunate because you can tell a lot of effort went into it, but um, yeah, and there's a ton of pop culture references like The Matrix and American Beauty actually. She was, she was in a bathtub full of rose petals and then you, I think you see that, like there's one jump cut where you see the real her just with her harp. Yeah, it was like super self-indulgent and Again, you could use that style and make a good movie, but it just makes it so much harder to make a good movie than if you're a bit more straightforward. It's almost the movie equivalent of that painting I made, which is very self-indulgent and pretty bad, ultimately. <laughs> so, you know, I've been saying a lot of stuff was has been going on the past four days or so. So Thursday, right after the last episode, the Putin interview... Then Friday, of course, the uh, the paint and sip, as I talked about at the beginning with that painting. And then I talked about Sunday with the wrestling championships and the Super Bowl. What about Saturday, though? Saturday was the, uh, the, the, the thing that happened on Saturday was perhaps the most remarkable thing in a while. Uh, this one, I'm so, I'm so puzzling, so puzzled about what happened there, but... Um, as, as a prerequisite to talking about Saturday, let's go back a few weeks to the episode, I think it's uh, 2087 of The Overnight Escape, called I'm a Jukebox. I think it was from a few weeks ago, January 30th. I started off the show talking about this witchcraft shop footage, right? So, you know, I have a project called Tapeland, which is a project to digitize all my old tapes. Starting off, it was all audio tapes, but then I've, I really, uh, you know, starting a year or two ago, really started to uh, digitize and release my uh, videos that I made in the past, mostly in my college days. I made videos, and I've I did a huge number of them or a large number of them. There's still some more stuff that I want to work on and release this year because last year was kind of taken up with the book. This year I want to get back to uh, to Tapeland and the videos and stuff. So I started looking into it. I mean, the videos. It's just it's just a much more of a time and emotional and intellectual investment, like editing videos and stuff. It's sort of counterintuitive, but it just really is a lot of requires a lot of energy. So I I, I saw that um, you know what, one of the projects I'm working on is Curly Gecko's Musing, which is an ostensible sequel to Early Echoes Fusing, um, which is sort of an anthology of a bunch of different videos and. Uh, some of them are from my video class at NYU when I went to NYU Film School. In uh, I think it was in the spring semester of '88, Sight and Sound Video with Professor Jubila, Joan Jubila, and uh, we were tasked with uh, just making videos. Like, so I went. They're, they're like, you know, can you go interview people? So um, there was this witchcraft store I knew, as I was sort of interested in the supernatural. And I, I went there and I, I filmed uh, one of the employees at this witchcraft store making a magic candle related to the goddess Oshun, which is like an African river goddess I looked up. I remember I talked about this, right? So I just recently, as of a couple of weeks ago, I sort of was a I didn't watch the entire thing, but I watched some of it. Oh, that's interesting. You know, there's also some footage of me kind of interviewing a street vendor on the street, which is really interesting. He was playing, I think he was playing uh, on, on a boombox Oxygen by uh, Jean-Michel Jarre. <laughs> very, very challenging pronunciations there. But but anyway, just as a prerequisite to this story, I talked about that 
uh, not even two weeks ago, right? Right, okay. So Saturday, let's get to Saturday now. So, yeah, so uh, Saturday, our plan was my wife Denise and I going into New York City to go to dinner and go see a play on Broadway. Um, as you may remember, we went uh, down to, you know, like down East Village. We went to this place called Avant Garden a few weeks ago. Then we saw the movie Poor Things, as I, as I was talking about before. And it's part of a chain of vegan restaurants that all are, they have a bunch of different restaurants all around there. East Village, not an area I usually go. Um, in fact, there's a place called Soda Club, which is where we went Saturday night that we wanted to stop by the last time we were there, but it got too late. And we got some sort of a credit on their app, but we couldn't use it when we were there. So we, we wanted to go back to one of these restaurants to use that uh, credit. Um, so we figured Soda Club uh, seemed like a good place to go. You get really good reviews. They have uh, vegan pastas and stuff. Um, you know, the play is right on 42nd Street, as I mentioned on last episode. Uh, former American Airlines Theater, now known as Something Something Theater, some guy's name. The two places are nowhere near each other. So, I, I mean, I looked at uh, mass transit options, but listen, they're just not good. Okay. So we drove down to the what's known as Alphabet City because this place, Soda Club, is on uh, Avenue B and 10th Street. Again, not an area I really ever go. I really never go down that, that way uh, too much. Alphabet City. That's a, if you look at Manhattan, right, it sort of bulges out on the bottom right if you're looking at it. And that's sort of where these... Avenue A, B, C, D, and I don't know what letter it goes up to. They're over there, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's really no, I mean, there's only one subway, the L, you know, near there. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of, it just, so we just drove. We drove, so that was the plan, drive down to uh, Soda Club, have dinner, and then drive through Manhattan up to the Times Square area, see the play. The play The play we saw is Doubt, uh, Doubt. And um, I originally wasn't going to go. It, it was going to be, uh, my wife was going to go with my neighbor. Uh, but uh, she actually, also at the same time, like it was going to be a Christmas present, but then she also got a Christmas present from her husband to go to Costa Rica. So they're in Costa Rica now, so they couldn't go. So I, I go to this play anyway. Doubt. Interesting uh, stars in it, starring uh, Liev Schreiber and, uh, and Tyne Daly. They may not, you may not know who they are, but Lee Schreiber is, a, is an actor who was in, uh, most famously in a TV show called Ray Donovan, which I did not watch. My wife watched it. I may have seen him in a few things. Uh, it's notable because he's almost exactly the same age as me. I was born October 3rd, 1967. He was born October 4th, 1967. So just about the same age. So oh, I look at him, he's like, oh, he's so old. Wait, he's the same age as me. <laughs> yeah. um, Tyne Daly, of course, from Cagney and Lacey. A TV show that I don't know if I watched a lot, but it was one of those shows. Back then, TV shows, even if you didn't watch them, you heard about them all the time or saw promos for them about two policewomen, Cagney and Lacey. She played Cagney, Tyne Daly. Um, so, and it's a play. I, I, I knew the premise, and I, I know there was a movie. The movie version starred Meryl Streep and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think it was from like 2007 or something. Uh, it's, it's about like... A priest who may or may not be molesting young boys, and I don't know. It seems like kind of a drag, kind of a downer topic, but you know, with a cast like that, I'm like, yeah, I'll go see it, whatever. So, um, yeah, so that was our plan to go down to the soda club and then go to see Doubt. And uh, hold on one second, let me look outside here. I think the it looks like the snow may be done, so maybe I'll do like a first wave of uh, 
shovel in now and uh, get back to what happened Saturday in a moment. All right, phase one of shoveling is done. Of course, I do it in phases. When I get a little winded, I take a break. And I just shoveled the uh, the walkway from the street to my to my porch, and uh, the, the the letter carrier came and gave me a package. I'm like, oh, I just I just shoveled it. That, that's good. It would have been tough for her to come here if I didn't just shovel it. It's early days in shoveling. Um, <coughs> anyway, <coughs> the package is a book, and I do remember buying this. It's from uh, Book Trolls, Bamboo Road in Houston, Texas. Let's see what we got here. Yes. Look at this. Compact Classics. Volume 3. Yes, indeed. And uh, I've been wanting to get this for a while to complete my collection of mismatched uh, books. So yeah, this is a series of th a three-volume set of books which are uh, summaries of uh, all these works of literature of all sorts. Um, the third volume has things like The Good Earth, Tests of the D'Urbervilles, The Accidental Tourists, Kitchen Soup for the Soul, right? Tales of King Arthur, Disney's World, a biography. And all of these are basically on two pages summarizing an entire book. And uh, this was... Where were they out of, the company? Um, I found out about them... Yeah, this is 94. Yeah. Um, Compact Classics, Inc. They're from Salt Lake City, Utah. So I don't know the details of this project, who wrote all of these uh, summaries, but it started off being called Compact Classics, and as I recall, um, it didn't perhaps, wasn't very exciting. It had a very dry name, Compact Classics, uh, two-page summaries of all of these uh, different books. Um, then they struck upon the idea of calling it the Great American Bathroom Book, a book to have in your bathroom. So you could probably read one of these two-page summaries uh, on, sitting on the toilet. And then, I guess, sales must have skyrocketed, and uh, they, um... Ooh, here's the uh, snowplow. All right, I guess if they're coming the other way, I guess I whatever I'm doing by the road is going to be undone by that plow. Anyway, um, yeah, Compact Classics, the Great American Bathroom Book. So at one point, I had all three editions of it, and I don't know why I got rid of them. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Why I got rid of the three volumes, I don't remember. Um, but eventually I, I must have seen it in the store or something. I got volume two, I guess, of the, or volume one of the Great American Bathroom book again. And then, I think it was last year at some point, I, they also had very limited, it seems limited quantities, uh, they made of the Great Canadian Bathroom book. And then they also have a British version called, um, uh, something on the loo, reading classics on the loo or something. That's not the title, but it's something like that. Uh, reading material for the loo, you know, the word loo, which means bathroom, L-O-O. We don't use that here in America, but they use it over there in Britain. The loo. Yeah, we don't do that. But anyway, uh, <coughs> uh, so there's all these different versions. So I had volume one of the Great American Bathroom Book, volume two of the Great Canadian Bathroom Book. So I really wanted to get volume three as, you know, uh, reading stuff on the loo. But apparently there is no volume three of reading stuff on the loo. I only got to volume two. I don't know what happened. It seemed like this company fell apart at some point. I don't know. Um, but, uh, so I figured I didn't want to get another Canadian or American one because it would kind of mess up the symmetry. So I got, I got this, the Compact Classics Volume 3, 
this one is not in great shape, but it's it's passable. And uh, yeah, oh look, quotes. What are these? Random quotes. If someone was unhappy being tall, would the same people call for sawing off his legs? Anonymous response. Sounds like that uh, Rush song that was based on the works of uh, Ayn Rand. About the trees, you know. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. What are these, just random quotes? Genesis 122. Man tends to increase at a greater rate than his means of sub subsistence. Consequently, he is occasionally subjected to a severe struggle for existence. Charles Darwin. These are all like random quotes. My child is an honor student. Bumper sticker. My kid beat up your honor student. Another bumper sticker. The highest result of education is tolerance. Helen Keller. What are schools if not indoctrination against communism? Richard Nixon. Wow. Just random quotes from all sorts of places. Bumper stickers. Richard Nixon. Oh, I think there's trivia here too, right? Name the magazine that corresponds to the mottos or mission statements given below. The magazine for men. The humor magazine. The weekly news magazine. The magazine of news significance. All right, I already saw the answers, unfortunately. The magazine for men, Esquire. Humor magazine, National Lampoon. Weekly news magazine, Time. The magazine of news significance, Newsweek. Wow. It's all from a very 90s perspective, you know. Short stories of Washington Irving. Wow. Anyway, it's good books to have to learn about the world. Now I feel hot. I don't know. It's like cold out, obviously, but I feel hot because of all of you know the uh, the ex- exertion. I should probably uh, probably get back to doing some shoveling now, and then we'll continue with our our talk of uh, what happened on Saturday. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Phase two complete. Looks like we got five or six inches total, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a little wet, so it's a little heavy, but there's no, fr- it's all kind of wet on the bottom, not frozen at all, so it's fairly easy to shovel. I think phase three I should be done, but we'll see. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we drove in. Like I have a weird. Like, I'm really stressed out driving in New York City, but somehow my wife, Denise, is really good at driving in New York City, so she usually drives when we're going into the city. Um, You know, we just take Route 3 down to the Lincoln Tunnel, and, uh, you know, then I just, I just using the uh, Google Maps to to navigate. Um, It was interesting, we saw, right right here, like in Nutley, on the other side of the highway, probably in Clifton, it was like a shed store. I, I I didn't know there were any shed stores around here. It's called Tough Sheds. T U F F. Tough Sheds. Because I remember down on Route 22, about my father, there's a shed store, but they had a huge field, all these different sheds. This is a small area. But I guess hey, people need sheds. So what do you want? I don't have a shed. I have a garage. But a lot of people around here have sheds, which is like like a small building you put stuff in. <laughs> a shed. Remember that Monty Python skit about the man who had two sheds? He was like a like some sort of serious composer or something, but they just asked him about his sheds. That was pretty good humor. That was decent humor for Monty Python. I really should revisit Monty Python. I I just have a sen- I have a feeling it might not age well, but it's such a big part of my life and so many people's lives growing up. But the movies like Holy Grail was just ruined by over what a great movie, but ruined by overexposure. To me, at least. 
apparently they uh <clears throat> there was a I saw something online it was um I, f I forget what it what it was it was related to Monty Python in some way they had a giant dead parrot I don't know if it was for the anniversary of Monty Python or something, but they, they'd created the sculpture of a giant dead parrot, which is one of their premier sketches. This is an ex-parrot. He's just resting. Yeah, yeah, cringe, cringe. Anyway, that's something, I don't know, like, a lot of times when you see movies or about the past, like... They don't usually, sh sometimes they do, but people just quoted pop culture stuff all the time, right? Like Saturday Night Live in the 80s, everyone would, would, would quote, you'll look marvelous, you know. The Billy, Billy uh, what's his name? <laughs> character. Billy Crystal character. You'll look marvelous. Like people would endlessly quote that, Monty Python. It was somewhat cringy, but it was something of the age. And I don't know how much of that's preserved. Because, like, people in the movies aren't quoting movies. They're just, they're making the quotes, you know? But a realistic assessment of the past, a lot of people are quoting pop culture stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so we went into, we got into Manhattan. There wasn't too much traffic. Uh, we, and for some reason, it took us, it took us down uh, across 40, 34th Street, which my wife was surprised by. But apparently, that was the best way to go. A major thoroughfare like that. Um... And for a little while, we were, we were behind a Pontiac Vibe. Very rare car these days. As I recall, I could be wrong, but I got a Toyota Matrix back in the day. Another Matrix reference, synchronicity. And, I, and it was like from the Toyota, a Japanese car company. But then apparently the Pontiac Vibe was like the same car. But with slight different trim and stuff. Different outer design elements and made by Pontiac. Like, how does that work? I know there's all sorts of funny stuff like that going on with cars back in the day. It's like it's a Pontiac, but it's also a Toyota. Like, how does that work? Are they two totally different companies? I don't know. We had a shared plant or something? I don't I, I forget exactly how that, that worked. So anyway. Um, <clears throat> so and then we, I think we turned right on 2nd Avenue, and then we turned left on 14th, and then we turned right on Avenue B. Because, again, this place is on Avenue B and 10th Street. So... And to me, driving around looking for a parking spot, like on the street, is like so aggravating. But my wife's really good at it. But this time, these streets, there was no parking. It was like completely, there was like nothing. We were going up and down all these streets. So like where we parked was essentially random, right? Like if, if we found a spot, we were on like 9th Street, 8th Street, over on Avenue C. I mean, we were like all over the place. Finally, we're driving down 11th Street between A and B. And finally, we find a spot on, on 11th between A and B, so... Great. It was a good spot. Not too far. You know, so we walk over to Avenue B, cross the street because Soda Club's on the other side of the street. It's just a block down. It's, it's, like, it's right south of uh, the corner of 10th and, and B. As we're walking there, I look to my left, and there's like a store, you know, a store, but you have to go down a little bit of stairs to go into the store. Not really a basement, but kind of a basement store. And uh, I saw it was like a new age witchcraft type store. I'm like, oh, cool. Look, a store. I didn't, see, I didn't even see the name of it. Oh, that's kind of interesting. They, have, they still have those kind of stores around here. And uh, so didn't really think too much of it. And uh, we went to Soda Club. This place was amazing. It's basically, it, it looks like it had been like a very small bar in the past. And there's just a f very limited seating in there. So you need a reservation. Very expensive, as you might expect for something like this. Uh, and they, they, they basically are wa they have wines more than, they don't really have any, any hard liquor. They have some beer and cider. 
and stuff. Uh, but pretty much just other than that, it's just all wines, which I can dig. I'm, I'm usually not into wine, but I'm just, you know, when in Rome, you know, do as the Romans do. Uh, so, and they have, uh, you know, basically pastas and stuff. Let me look at their menu because what we got, everything we got there was so good. It was just super gourmet food, whatever. I don't know. What, what do you call food that's so good like that? It was even better than the other place. That other place was good too, Avant Garden. But this place, yeah, I mean, you know, you probably have, you, <laughs> it's it's not like an everyday thing. It's so expensive. But uh, let me see if I can find my, my pictures of the menu I took. <coughs> it wasn't that long ago. Come on. Oh, there we go. Okay, Soda Club. So, uh, yeah, we got the herb ricotta, oregano, marjoram, parsley, and house focaccia bread. That was really good. We got the watercress salad with roasted grapes, feta, pine nuts, and cipollini vinaigrette. And uh, this, I don't know where you find watercress like that. It was like these dark green small leaves. It was delicious. I don't know if I even knew what, what like what to what would water uh, that does not what I was expecting from watercress. I thought it was more curvy leaves. Listen, I don't I, I don't I'm really not a big salad guy even though I'm vegan, so <laughs> it was so good though. And then basically they just have pastas as the main entree. So I got the uh uh capoletti with morel mushrooms, porcini roux and truffle olive oil and uh these were like uh yeah, they were like little I don't know, like little ravioli type things, or that's not the right name. Uh, no, no, not tortel- like little tortellinis. Yeah, yeah, and topped with two morel mushrooms. And I, I don't know if I actually ever had. I remember reading about morel mushrooms as like the most expensive mushroom ever. The morel mushroom, they were so good. Everything was so good. And my wife got the. Um, trying to remember which one she got. No. Which one was it? Oh, she got the medaglione, which is butternut squash, spinach dough, pe- pecans, and uh, sage butter. We say pecan up here, not pecan. Yes, I know, I know. Everyone down there in South says pecan. How do they say it in other countries, though? It's like American English. How do you say it? Which one in one in the international, in the international, like when someone learns how to say pecan, if they're learning English as a second language, like in school? I hope they say pecan and not a uh, pecan. But when I was in Texas at a pecan store, pecan store, the guy I told him, "Well, we say pecan in New Jersey." He's like, "Well, we have a pecan out in the back if you want to. It's in the bathroom because <laughs> it's a can. You go pee, you go urinate in a pecan." Anyway, and those were like little, yeah, they were like little raviolis, little green raviolis, amazing stuff. Um, this place was so good. But <clears throat> where's the uh, the wine list here? So anyway. They had a whole section of orange wines, right? Orange. I know. I hadn't. I heard of red and white. I guess I hadn't heard of it, but um, my wife had heard of orange wine. Is I guess is the new thing. So on the menu, they have uh, sparkling, rosé, orange wine, white wine, chilled red, red wine, and then they have huh, which could use an interrobang. It's H U H question mark exclamation mark. If people use interrobangs, there would be one there. Like, huh? So, of course, I was instantly gravitated towards the huh wine, which was, uh, yeah, not cheap. I think it was $20 a glass. I mean, listen, this is a once-in-a-while place. This place is insane. But it's uh, it's Ter de Terra del Favonino Grillo Racina di, Vin- di Vento, Sicily, Italy, from 2020. And he described it as this very strange wine with sort of uh, raisined overtones and, and uh, 
so and so he let us try it and my wife was like ugh he didn't like it i loved it and it was like an it was this most interesting looking wine it was like uh it was orangeish. It looked like vinegary, orangey, but it just had such a unique taste. And <coughs> the next day, I tried looking it up online. I got nothing. I did find Terra de, de Favonino in Sicily, but nothing about this wine. I could find nothing. I want this wine, and I can't even find it. It's like completely like <coughs> I guess I have to do more research. I guess I could call them. Well, I don't, I don't care about it that much, but if, if, if they had it at Total Wine, I can go buy it. It was so good. My wife kind of tried. She tried a few orange wines, and she wasn't into it. She eventually got a sparkling, but um, that was so good. So <laughs> comes time to leave, and uh, <coughs> luckily the app worked that we had the credit on. And so my wife's like, "Oh, do you want to stop by that store we saw that 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 New Age store?" I'm like, "Yeah, if it's open, you know, we can we, we can check because we had, we had plenty of time to drive up town and go to see the play." So we go there, and it, it looked kind of closed, but it was open, and it was called Enchantments. Right, Enchantments was the name of the store, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, because when I watched that video, as I talked about earlier, the video of that store, I didn't, I didn't remember the name of it or anything. Listen, it was freaking 37 years ago, whatever, whatever, how many years ago it was, 36 years ago. Uh, I didn't remember when I saw Enchantments. I'm like, wait a minute, that kind of rings a bell. So we go in. And then in the back, I see that they're carving these candles. There's like two people there, like carving candles, exactly like in the video. I've never seen any other place do this. And for some reason, I was thinking it was 1986. I was completely off. I mean, it was either 87 or 88. I don't know why. So eventually, I walked up and I'm like, hey, I got a question. Were you guys here back in 1986? I'm like, because in film school, I made a video at your place of, of, of someone making a candle and they're like, yeah, that was the other location on 9th Street, but yeah. So I was talking to them about it, and they're like, yeah, we'd be really interested to see that. It was the same place! It was the same place from the video! They moved just from 9th Street, I think between 1st and 2nd, to uh, like uh, B between 11th, t- t- 10th and 11th. It's the same place! We walked by it randomly. Can you imagine? I'm like, I can't believe this. It's the same place. I would, in a million years, I would never have thought that place was still in business, that they're still making the candles. There's, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. I know, it's just a coincidence. Is it just a coincidence? If we had parked anywhere else, right, imagine Soda Club, we could have parked anywhere, 360 degrees around that place. Well, not the other, well, the park is on the, Tompkins Square Park is there. You know what I'm saying? The f- the, I, wouldn't, I had no idea this place existed. I had, was not looking for it. And yet we walked right past it because we parked there and randomly went to this restaurant. I could not believe it. I, I, I mean, that's a major synchronicity. I, I, it's more than a synchronicity. I was, I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. So what? I mean, I know, I know. There's a perfectly normal... It's just a coincidence. But it doesn't feel like a coincidence. It doesn't even feel like that store should exist. I don't know. Is this world I'm in some sort of fictional construct that just because I was wa- I watched that video? I know you could also say, oh, it's the law of attraction that brought you to the place. Or, I don't know, man. It just sort of – I don't know what the explanation is. It's just so weird. It's the same place from the video, and they carve candles and with magic spells and stuff. Unbelievable. So I told them I, I, you know, if I ever got to digitizing it, and I and I felt so the next day I did digitize the video. It's only like about twenty minutes long. I put it as a private video on YouTube. I didn't publicly release it yet because it's 
honestly, it's not super interesting. It's just it would be interesting to them because they work at the same store 36 years later. So I wrote them an email. I'm like, here's the video. I, I, I was mistaken. It was 1988, not 1986. I hope you enjoy it. And I said how we just randomly walked past the place. I haven't heard back from them yet. I hope I, I hope, I hope they got it. Uh, it just, I was like freaked out. It was so strange how that could happen. Anyway, continuing on our way here. Uh, <coughs> So we wound up driving down, uh, I think eventually we were driving down 42nd Street. We actually went under Tudor City Greens, which was a major location for this show for many years. I would go to, I would go get lunch at the Health Nuts and sit down in the park. Remember that? If you know this show, there were many years when I did that. That little Turla's nook where I felt like supernatural energy and stuff. Um, yeah, and it's weird, like the fact that I'm so interested in this stuff, but I really never pursued in any way getting involved with any sort of witchcraft or any sort of organizations or anything. Probably better that way. I think it's because I suspect that there is some truth to the uh, to the supernatural stuff. But we know ver- at this level we know very little about it, so it might be a better idea just to let it go. You know, not push it too much because if you start to like try to call upon forces or the heck, there's this car going up. I, I guess there's a I guess they're checking to see if they're done. I don't know. It was like a it was a fire truck, but one of those fire cars that's driving up and down the street. Yeah. Anyway. Um, personally speaking, and I don't know. I've always been interested in it, but I'm I just have a natural interest in the nature of reality and stuff, but I don't necessarily I, I, I always thought that the aspect of it where you're initiating communication with potential supernatural entities Without really knowing what, what these who these entities are or what you're really at, like what's the communi- nature of the communication, it just felt a little bit dangerous in my opinion. And it's also I don't know I just am not super interested in that stuff. I mean I can't avoid the supernatural stuff because it's it's an aspect of my life, but I I don't think that's that's not why I'm here and that this plane of existence, you know. I can't help being interested in it. But anyway, that was amazing. So we were driving, <laughs> driving down 42nd Street. And I noticed on these main roads, like, it's two lanes going either direction, like on 34th or 42nd. But as you're driving, the right-hand lane is a bus-only lane. And it's kind of weird. Like, when are you going to turn right? Like, where do you do you stay in the left lane? Or are you going the bus lane to turn right? Or what do you – you don't really know what to do. But then there's, there's like, a new traffic signal, which freaked me out. Because I remember having dreams where you're driving. In fact, I had a – this this brought back a memory. Recently, I had a dream. All I remember is I was driving down a road. I needed to go in the other direction, so it was almost sort of like I put my foot out and stopped the car and just swung it around, almost like Fred Flintstone style. <laughs> driving in dreams is always... They, they haven't gotten the driving thing down. It's always very weird. I don't know if anyone else drives in dreams, but anyway. Um, I, I've had dreams where there's these traffic signals that are like blue and all these other weird colors. Like, what do I do? I know red means stop, green means go, but what does blue mean? Like... So in this case, it's, it's a new signal, which is a, it's just a white rectangle inside the space of the light. It, it means bus only can go. It's a, it's, a, it's a new traffic signal, a white rectangle, like a vertical white rectangle. It's so weird. Very weird indeed. Um, so anyway, um, <coughs> we also saw there's a Tamashi Nation store, like, a, I guess, Japanese models and stuff right in Times Square. I'm going to have to investigate that. Um, when we uh, when I go back to work this well I'm going to be going in Thursday so maybe I'll stop by there 
Um, so then we uh, we went to the theater. We parked. You know, we had we needed a reservation to park. You need reservations everywhere now. The parking lot was full, but we had res. Oh, do you have reservations? Yes, we have reservations. And the parking is God only knows how much. It's like fifty, sixty dollars to park for a few hours. You know, what, what do you want? Everything's gotten so expensive; it's ridiculous. Um, so we went to the theater, uh, and uh, you know, there's a little bar there, and my wife's like, "Do you want a drink?" I'm like, "Yeah, I, I guess we can get a drink." Yeah. Um, my wife got like a margarita, and I'm like, uh, they, they had whiskeys. They, they, none of them looked very good, but they had an Irish whiskey called Slancha. You know that word, S-L-A-I-N-T, with a bunch of accent marks on it? I, that, I, I happen to know, I think it's pronounced something in the, in the vicinity of Slancha. Why not spell it S-L-O-N-C-H-A, Slancha? I know, it's Gaelic, it's another language, it's this and that and the other thing. <coughs> I hope I somewhat pronounce it correctly. They're like, do you want a single or a double? I'm like, all right, I guess a double. <laughs> so you put in this little cup with these sippy lids. I guess you could bring it into the theater. So then I thought she's, I thought she's like 16. I'm like, 16? $16 for two? Uh, wow, that's really cheap. Maybe they're subsidized by the, by the theater. It's like real cheap drinks at this point. <laughs> it turns out it was 69, not 16. Oh my god, for two little drinks the hell man <laughs> take a mortgage on your house to go out for one night go to see dinner and a, and, and a show what the hell man it's like it's ridiculous what am I made of money anyway uh, and I, then I saw the list of people performing and Tyne Daly wasn't on the list I'm like uh oh Leif Schreiber was on the list but I'm like uh oh what, ha- what happened so we went in we're in the front row of the balcony <laughs> and uh it was one of those things where we constantly had to get up to let people go past. <coughs> I guess that's one of the downsides of, of getting there early. Um, yeah, and I looked it up. Apparently, Tyne Daly, Cagney of Cagney and Lacey, dropped out of the show. Little did we know, a few days earlier, the news hit. I didn't look it up. She had a health scare. At an, she was hospitalized, and she had to drop out of the show completely. So her understudy performed the role. And she's going to be replaced by Amy Ryan who actually was in that movie I saw recently, uh, Bo is Afraid. So she's going to be now uh, Mother uh, Sister Aloysius, right? Um, so the play, uh, the play started. There's no intermission. And this is a revival. The play originally came out, I think, in 2004-ish. Um, it takes place in <coughs> 1964, I believe, and uh, in New York City. And it takes place at a uh, Catholic school. And again, it's about um, Sister Aloysius, who's sort of the principal of the school, is suspecting this guy, the priest played by uh, Liev Schreiber. And there's only four people in the cast. Um, she suspects him of molesting the, uh, a boy in the school. And the set is very similar, and it was very well done. So I'd say overall, this play, it felt like it wasn't trying to be anything huge or uh, the ambition of it was very small to tell this one small story it's called a parable so I guess the idea is that yes it's about this somewhat unpleasant topic of predator priests molesting young boys pedophile priests you know which apparently in 2004 was still a much more raw topic because the truth of what happened is just coming out more and more not just that the priests were molesting their students, but that the church was covering it up and moving them from parish to parish. Is it is, is a parish? What is a parish? Is that the name of it? 
I've heard that word a million times. Is it what is a parish is like a region of a religious region or something? I don't know, but um, but I think it's also meant to be. Um, <clears throat> the, the whole play is meant to be about doubt about how we sort of convince ourselves that we know, but we really don't know, which is something I talk about quite a bit on the show here. Anyway, <coughs> as, I, as I was mentioning <coughs> about those movies, when you create a work, you're kind of a movie or whatever, a TV show or a play, you're kind of defining your goal, your ambition with the play. So like that movie I was talking about, the globe, um, <coughs> time-space thing, their ambition was very it was a, a very complicated and very ambitious project that they didn't quite meet the mark right in the case of doubt it's a very small story to tell it's a play that is telling a story and it's very limited in scope but in terms of the scope of the play oh the sun is coming out in terms of it's a very small play in my opinion it's a and it's not super exciting but Considering what it is, they it was a superb performance. It, I couldn't imagine it being any better. Leif Schreiber is uh, fantastic. He's just so good in the role. And I couldn't believe the guy's the same age as me. He looks so much older than me. Now, come on. That's how old I am. He's younger than me, for God's sakes. Anyway. I know. In my mind, I see myself as one way, and but actually I'm just like this kind of old middle-aged guy in real life. <coughs> so the other character was one of the younger nuns that's a teacher and she's played by Zoe Kazan I recognize the name because I saw a movie years ago called I believe it was called Me and Orson Welles and she was in the movie and she sort of stuck out to me when I saw it that she kind of I'm like she's going places this Zoe Kazan but I don't this is the first other thing I've seen her in um, she was actually very good too and then there was the mother of the student is the is the other character so only four four actors, and the sets were very well done. It's like a, a church, and then there's like the uh, the office of the principal. Then they can rotate that, and then you can be out in the courtyard. So those are really the only sets. So it's very it was very minimal. Um, yeah, and and whatever the woman's name that that was the understudy to Tyne Daly, she was very good as well. So I would say on the positive side, it was really well done, well acted, the everything, but. The scope of it, and it just is, is – I wouldn't really necessarily recommend it. It's not – didn't blow me away or anything. It was – it felt – I guess it was like about an hour, hour and a half long. It told its story. Really well done, but it's just kind of not that exciting of a – you know, it's, it's a very small thing. I, d- I don't know if it would be worth like spending all this money to go see it, but at the same time, it was very well done. I know that seems kind of contradictory, but um, – and it is. I mean, the, the, in the end – they do leave you in doubt as to whether did he or didn't he, you know. They don't resolve that, which I think is part of the play. Again, it's a lack of some degree of a lack of resolution, which is the whole point of the whole thing, because it's called a parable. It's about doubt. And in the beginning they even say like doubt can bring us together as much as faith can in some ways. So it's an interesting story. And doubt is the kind of th- to praise doubt and living with doubt and living with uncertainty. That's something I talk about all the time. How what, how I face the world mysteries is I don't want to believe in something that I have no idea if it's true or not. I don't know. I, I can't prove it. The shape of the world, is it flat or is it round? Well, listen, I have my ideas. It could be flat. It could be round or there could be something else. I personally take all of those and 
personally just give each one a percentage in my mind. You know, I think that the full-blown ball floating in a cosmic void, which is what science says, it could be. I would say from my investigations, maybe not the greatest percentage for that. How about the flat earth that the conspiracy theorists talk about? A flat disk covered with a dome and that specifically, also pretty low percentage in my opinion. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle of that. But I don't know. And I'm living with without belief. Belief to me is is a comfort, but it is uh, a 100% acceptance of something that you can't know 100%. So anyway, so it was <coughs> it was very good, but also kind of very small in a way. It was pleasant. It was nice. So then, as we were going in, the guys like, uh, "You're in the front row," and of course, the unisex bathroom is over here. <laughs> so when we were leaving. The unisex bathroom was the most confusing bathroom I've ever seen, okay? So it says women, right? It's the, it's the ladies' room. But then it also, a sign next to that says there's this symbol that has the male and female, you know, the Mars and Venus symbol, and then other symbols sort of overlap. It's like no, you can use this bathroom no matter what your gender identity is. So... It's a ladies' room, but it, 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 no matter what your gender identity is. So, like, I consider myself to be a cis male, if I, to use that term. I, I consider, my, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, it, I just feel I am male, and I'm identify as a male. I don't know what you want to say. So, another guy went in. So I'm like, I guess I can go in, but is this, is it for women and? people of every other gender identity except a regular cis male or or cis males also a lot like I didn't understand what they were so I just went in I felt very weird going in but I saw another guy going listen I gotta go to the bathroom and there there was no men's room there it's just a ladies room I don't understand it was all genders I don't know it was fine but I was in the stall and I I, I peeked out to make sure there was was no one else there when I went out Then this this like, kind of weird drunk guy was talking to my wife. I guess they were from Philly, and they were like super drunk. I don't know. You really want to get like super like if you're gonna go spend so much money to go see a play, you're gonna get like hammered to go see the play. I don't know. But anyway, it was uh, yeah, it was good. No, it was a very a very interesting evening. I, I mean, it was uh, you know, the food was great. That synchronicity with that. Witchcraft store was unbelievable, and the play it was good. You know, then uh, we went to the um, to get the car from the parking garage, which sometimes that can be a real shit show with eight million people standing around waiting to get their car. But in this case, it was there weren't that many people. I don't know, it was fine because you know it must be a smaller place because they drive the car into an elevator and go up to another floor. What do they retrofit just a regular building into a parking garage with? I don't know. I don't know how they do that. Um, <clears throat> so that was very easy. But they had this shared umbrella uh, machine. I had never seen this before. But this, I think, is a brilliant business plan. Whoever came up with this. So it's a machine, and it has a bunch of umbrellas sticking out of it. I, I guess they must be clamped in with some sort of electronic clamp. So what you do is, the idea is they say, is this free? Get a free umbrella. You got And you have to go on an app, and you put in your 
your uh, your credit card information, and they're like, but listen, if you return this umbrella to this location within 24 hours, it's free. Otherwise, we'll charge you for the umbrella. Now, you know, 99% of people that need an umbrella are getting it from this machine that just parked. They're not going to bring it back. They're going to forget about it. They're going to, whatever. What a brilliant plan. If everyone returned the umbrella, they'd go out of business. But I, I guarantee you, 99 times out of 100, someone just, ah, whatever, they lose it or they forget about it. And then they're, God knows how much you're charging for this $5 umbrella. Probably, probably a lot. Probably like $20, $30. I don't know. I didn't see the prices, but. I thought that was a pretty cool uh, business plan. Just just uh, an entire business dependent on laziness and disorganization. <laughs> All right, I guess I better do phase three. Like, it it looks like it's getting warmer out here because I, I, I am warm. I, I don't feel that cold, and I don't know. Everything's melting, so I better finish up with my shovel. All right, it's later on now. The sun has set. And I'll just take a look at my handiwork here. This is the best. Because after I uh, did my uh, snow shoveling. Ooh, wow. Look at that. Look at the moon. What is that? Is, this, is that like a planet like Venus or something? Very cool. Very cool. Um, it, it, it was sunny out, as I mentioned, and it was a little warm. And, uh, yeah, it, it, like, melted all of the... You know, like, when you shovel, you never can get every last bit. There's still little schmut areas of schmutz snow all over the place. But because of the weather, these, uh, these walkways I uh, shuffled are completely clear of snow. <laughs> it's very, very, very satisfying to see. I did my part, and then nature did the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look at that moon. I can't see any stars around here because of the <coughs> light pollution, yeah. Planets, though, can sometimes get through. <laughs> but, like, what is the light pollution? Like, there's a light on the ground, and it's, what is it, bouncing against, like, air or something to make it so you can't see the stars? I guess so. So air reflects light? So wouldn't that mean everything would just be invisible? <laughs> if air, imagine if air really reflected light, everything, you, like everything would just be like a, just fog everywhere all the time. But I know it's probably one of these uh, economies of scale kind of, you know what I mean? That um, let me go. It's cold out here. No, you know what I'm saying. Like I know, like maybe not like right in front of you, just like when it's foggy outside, right? It could be the densest fog, but like it, you could see like a few feet in front of you. It's just sort of the cum the, the cumulative effect, right? So maybe that's how light pollution works. Um, I don't know. I never really thought about it. But yeah, our Bortle level around here sucks. Well, Bortle is the uh, the scale that's uh, how much light pollution there is. So yeah, a lot of light pollution around here. Hey, kitty. Going on, Vegas. Yeah, I'm telling you. So yeah, it was a wild weekend and a lot of stuff going on. Oh, I wanted to mention there's a show uh, on Onsog Radio here called Post Arlen Monologics by Maverick88. 
He's a guy that grew up in the same neighborhood as me in New Jersey. He was one of the fellow kids in the 1970s and 80s in my neighborhood. He wound up in Texas and did a, a series of great shows here on, on Sug Radio. And uh, then he stopped ba- uh, last May. And uh, <coughs> I found out only recently that he had kept doing shows uh, but wasn't posting them. I don't know. There was no, uh, you know, he didn't quit the channel or anything. He just sort of, some circumstances changed, and, and he, he, he figured he was just making the shows just for a small private audience. But I asked him, could I could I add them to the archive? And he said, sure, you know, absolutely. So I I started doing that. So uh, if you were a fan of post-Arlen Monologics when it was on the channel, you can uh, hear it directly in the archive. So in the uh, January 2024 archive on Internet Archive, I put eight episodes. Uh, you know, do it, that process of downloading the files, the show notes, the show art, and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bit time-consuming. Um, so I figure I'll, I'll be doing it over the next few months in the archive and uh, and sort of catch up with where he's at, and then we'll see about posting the new stuff. It would just be too much stuff to post on, on the main site itself. <clears throat> Still haven't heard back from DreamHost about this current uh, issue of them deleting all the files. Uh, God. And I see now, I didn't really understand when I first got the message, but they, yeah, as I said before, they thought it was an illegal file archive or something. and uh, It probably wasn't even a person. It was probably just, I don't know what it was. Anyway, I'm, I, I still haven't heard from them. I'm hoping to hear back from them soon, and uh, we'll see what's going on with that. The thing is, there are contingencies. I have formulated contingency plans to uh, even if nothing can happen whatever you know <coughs> I mean uh, I I mean it's been a pretty good run with this place hopefully I can continue with them you know I know they're you know still pretty cheap web hosting but we'll see so I was thinking about something it's a theory that I've uh, talked about on this show I just it's just been on my mind you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it sort of has to do with how you um, you sometimes feel like you have a lot of energy and you want to go out and do things, and other times you just feel blah, you know, and feel like like drained of energy and stuff. For, but like, for what reason? And I've theorized in the past. I think this is my theory that um, to uh, create things, right? You have to have a certain kind of energy, right? Um, and that, as a human being, you're pr- you're producing this energy all the time. This is all a theory. Um, so, like, if you want, if you need to create something, basically, I don't know if, if anything you do is an act of creation. Like when you're brushing your teeth, you have to sort of think about brushing your teeth and move your hand to grab the toothbrush and run it get some toothpaste and you know do the whole do the deed brushing against your teeth you're creating a toothbrushing but that's probably doesn't take too much of this energy i'm talking about but if you want to create something like um a work of art like my painting today you need to uh <coughs> it, it requires some of this uh, energy energy x let's call it i don't know what to call it and so hopefully you've built up some of that energy and you, you need it to 
to do to make your painting and you start some things are more expensive than other things I think in terms of this creation process um, especially like uh, I'm trying to think like one thing personally that I used I used to draw comic strips this character is Zope and um, in at, at, when I was young I could just do it and then when I got to a certain age it, it was like almost impossible to do it it felt like I just couldn't do it. I didn't have the energy to do it. It's weird. And I think that, like, um, writing fiction and stuff is super expensive in this regard. But, on the other hand, what I'm doing now, this kind of uh, 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 rambling monologues, is actually not quite as expensive as these other things. But, the idea is that if you're creating something, writing a poem, or writing a story or what making music or what have you and you run out of energy you can keep going you just need to borrow energy from yourself in the past or the future so the idea is once you once you're plumb out of energy once that tank is empty through some unknown process you're able to borrow I don't even want to say borrow energy you're able to take energy from yourself in the past or the future Right, like across time, you can um, suck up energy from yourself, and when you run into the patches where you feel kind of blah, those are patches where your energy has been taken by yourself in the past or the future. Right, <coughs> and uh, I think that obviously no one is doing this intentionally or knowingly. But it may just be an intuitive thing that happens. And uh, as you may have noticed, that there's a lot of young adults that are uh, the very intense artists, you know, think like a Kurt Cobain type, that uh, is, is creating these amazing songs, but maybe uh, over-borrowing from, in this case, their future self. So probably a little bit of this borrowing is, is healthy, sort of a back and forth and... But if this process goes too far, you could drain the life out of yourself in the future by sucking up all your future self's energy. And it would then manifest as um, all sorts of uh, symptoms and problems resulting in, like, death. You know. So you have to, you, you know, so it's... I often wonder about this process. I, got, I, I have these patches where, you know... I have like no energy or anything, and, and I and I know it's normal, whatever. But I wonder if this, and again, this is a rather outlandish theory, a fringe theory, perhaps, an edge theory. What am I, an edge lord? No, 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 no edge lords here. Um, uh, so I, I wonder if there's any truth to that. And it, the, uh, this is a, relates a bit to another theory I had. Which is that, right, we have the power of creation as human beings. We can create things that weren't there before. Not like snapping our fingers and an object appears out of thin air, like in Bewitched or something. No, I'm just saying you can create stories, characters, um, structures, sculptures, ideas, buildings, whatever, right? You can create these things, something that didn't exist. You can bring it into existence. You can manifest it. And... Um, 
it's, a, it's an awesome power in the, in the actual original meaning of the word awesome. It inspires awe. Not like, awesome, dude. But if you, if you might imagine this power were it too easy to do things, I know that we have to sort of see through the steps to, of the creation. That is, we have to sort of get from point A to point B. If you want to make a painting, you can't just twitch your nose and uh, a painting appears. You have to actually get a canvas and get some paint and apply the paint to the canvas, etc. <coughs> but in the end, there's the thing. It's something that didn't exist before. So I think that... But I think it's a kind of what they call manifesting, just bringing into reality something that didn't exist before and make it happen. And you might imagine the... Um, the ease or dif- the ease or difficulty of which this we face this process, right? If it was unlimited, right, it would be like we had these godlike powers that we could just create anything at any moment, teleport ourselves anywhere, create anything, right? Which sounds kind of groovy at first, but I think it would become tedious after a while. <laughs> I know everyone wants that power, but I don't know that it would be. It's not really a power appropriate for the human being. It may be appropriate for a higher form of, of life form that we may actually be at a higher level, but for a human being, it really would be, it wouldn't lead to much pleasure or satisfaction. It would in the short term, obviously, if you had such a power for a few days, I'm sure you would really get off on it, but then you would find everything to, it would, I think it would take the meaning out of everything. Everything would be meaningless. So the idea is that there's a kind of a, a governor, if that's the right word, or a kind of a, a resistance. That is, we can we can manifest, but there's a resistance we have to push through. We have to face effort. We have to have strain in order to make it happen. Even to the point, like, just doing the dishes. Like, I have a big pile of dishes over there in the kitchen I got to do. And it is almost like manifesting. You have to imagine the dishes being done. <laughs> and then you go through the steps in doing it. But I sort of feel like I know I've done it a million times before. It's no big deal, but I sort of feel this weird resistance. Oh God, I have to do the dishes. And it seems for it seems like there's that resistance or the need to apply a limited supply of energy towards this. But I feel like <coughs> this is a uh, <coughs> an aspect of reality that could be fine tuned, right? It, it could be easier or harder to manifest. And that would totally change every tiny increment of, of such a uh, of such a parameter would sort of completely change the entire human world and what it's like to be human, right? The ease or difficultness of manifesting things. So I feel like the the point we've gotten to here, which feels a bit burdensome, the way that it's implemented here in this in this place, I feel like is 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 set is at this setting because it produces the optimal uh, life experience for a human, right? Like, if, again, if it was too hard to get anything done, you, 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 like, everyone would just, like, sit around and, like, you know, wouldn't be able to do anything. You'd hardly be, would be able to, like, scrape by in existence. If it was too easy, again, it would it'd take the meaning out of everything. So it has to be, like, this fine-tuned middle point. So maybe this idea of a kind of a, quote-unquote, energy that you need to spend <coughs> in, in order to create things is part of it. That's where the resistance comes from. It's, like, sort of... Um, you have this limited supply and you're always sort of generating more of it, but it's never quite enough. 
especially if you're a creative person. So that's where the borrowing from your future or past self comes in and all the effects that has. Just a bunch of ideas, but I do think about it. As I've said many times, my working theory is that this world is... The world we're living in and being human and all that stuff is is all about the, the experience of living life, the experiences that you have, right? The idea being that it's very dis- living as a human being is very distinct uh, from living in other as as other types of life forms that may be out there. Um, but that this is specifically this whole area has been sort of sealed off from the rest of the multiverse in order to uh, um, promote the circumstances by which you can live a life as a human being to its fullest. And I know it seems that everything in the world sucks and there's all these wars and there's all these conflicts and there's all these like evil celebrities and evil politicians everywhere. But it just sort of seems that one aspect of the human condition is that uh, facing challenges and overcoming challenges is a big part of what we are, right? We're sort of, seems that humans are kind of designed to face problems and problem solving. That's why we love puzzles so much. You know, we're sort of designed to perform a wide variety of tasks and take satisfaction in completing them, such as shoveling snow. (coughs) You know. So it might just seem that we're sort of these servile robotic beings that are performing tasks, but the idea that that there's a consciousness involved and that if that was the starting point, it was discovered that there were certain pleasures and tones and aspects of this life at this level that can produce a great work of art. So the same way with writing, you have, you know, you, you, you can write amazing stories with just 26 letters, you know, upper and lowercase, so that makes uh, 52, and then also the numbers, so that makes uh, 62, and then also all the punctuation marks. And those weird ones like the schwa and the interrobang and all that stuff. So there's, there's a quite a few more than that. But you know what I'm saying. Music, you know, the like what, what is it? The Western music scale, the 12 tones, whatever. That Think of the music you can create with just a, this limited set of tones. I know there's microtonal music, but just with the major tones, right? So you can do, uh, you can do more with less. So the idea is that as a human, you're, in theory, a diminished form of Anunnaki. This is, again, these are all just theories that that we are a genetically modified form of a much higher humanoid being. But that even with our diminished uh, capacities, you can create a lot of very uh, vibrant, important experiences. So it is almost sort of like the artist at work. This, the human being in the human society is the palette and the paint. <coughs> and then the lives we lead is the art that we create here. So in that sense, it is important, right? Creation of artist, artistic expression in, in the multi-cosmos. Yeah. It's important, but it's, you know, like if you look at the scheme of things, yes, art is very important. But I mean, it may be the only important, the only truly important thing about this level of reality Assuming that higher levels of reality have more 
purposes rather than just uh, creating ex experiential art. I don't know. Just just one one uh, possible explanation as to what's going on here. There are many possible explanations. Perhaps all as unlikely as the next. The hell's going on? Where did this world come from? Who are we? Where are we? Who am I? And what am I doing here? Remember remember the Admiral Admiral Stockdale? No. That's back when politics was fun. Okay? It's not it's not so fun anymore. It's all it's all uh, doom and gloom these days. Okay? Remember the admiral, this this guy. They talk about Biden being confused. This guy, he wasn't. He, he was running for vice president. This guy was about like ninety years old, and he was like, "Who am I? What am I doing here?" <laughs> I know he was just trying. He was just joking, but he didn't really pull it off. And it did kind of seem like he was kind of confused. This was a vice presidential debate back like nineteen ninety two or something. Yeah, <coughs> and then of course. Uh, I don't know, probably, when was the one with, was it Lloyd Benson? He was debating Dan Quayle. When was this? What was, what, like, election was this? Dan Quayle, because Dan Quayle was the vice president under uh, the first Bush. He was elected in 88, and then, yeah, so Lloyd Benson. Hmm. Oh, maybe it was in, maybe it was 88 then. Yeah. Oh, it was he was was he the VP for uh, the caucus that was running? <clears throat> well, anyway, uh Yeah, Dan Quayle was sort of this Alfred E. Newman like uh guy. He looked like this sort of this like he looked sort of a mix between like Robert Redford <coughs> and Alfred E. Newman. And he just sort of came off as kind of a dumb guy. He was pretty young. He was running for vice president. He won. He they won. Bush and Quayle won. Um, but uh, the question came up. I guess. Uh, I guess the the moderators of the debate were like, "Mr. Quayle, the question has come up as whether you are too young to serve as vice president of the United States." And then he said something like, "Well, you know, there was another young guy that ran for president. His name was John Kennedy." And I'm not much younger than he was when he became president. And Lloyd Benson just sort of looked at him with this sour stare. And he's like, he's like, listen, listen, you whippersnapper. I worked with Jack Kennedy. He was a friend of mine. I was in the Senate with him. <laughs> Mr. Quayle, you're no John Kennedy. No, somehow, the, somehow the vice presidential debates have like most entertaining in the past now it's all now it's all just who are these people you know what's going on with these people I don't know what was the last one it was uh, what's his name uh, the Trump guy that then he had they had a falling out on, on a certain day in January uh, what was his name again um, kind of like white hair Mike Pence and uh, Kamala Harris Jeez. Yeah. I kind of remember that one. They're not quite as fun as Dan Quayle or Admiral Stockdale, but anyway. Dan Quayle's still around. Why don't they, why, why don't they bring him out of, like, deep, you know, the deep freeze and just sort of, like, run him as president, you know? He can't be that old. He was so young. 
Yeah, look, he's only 77 years old now. He's still around. James Danforth Quayle. Yeah. yeah he, he really does look like Alfred E. Newman and Robert Redford combined. It's not a good combination. This is the official portrait from 1989. <clears throat> he, he, he retired. I would retire, too. If you, if you took that much abuse for four years, please. He tried to spell the word potato. He did not spell the word potato, one of the most basic words out there. He never lived it down. I, I, I would go hide under a rock, too, if I couldn't spell potato. Please. I know it wasn't his fault. I know the flashcard was spelled wrong. And he got momentarily confused. But spelling counts. As Dan Quill, as Dan Quill learned, yes. Yes, indeed. But what has he been up to since 1993 when he left office? Let me see. Hmm. He became a trustee of the Hudson Institute. Gee, that sounds very dynamic. What is that? He also served on the board of Central Newspapers. See, he was taking very safe, very boring jobs. He didn't want, he didn't want to stand out. The Hudson Institute. Central Newspapers. Yeah. Oh, look, he's also a best-selling author. His 1994 memoir, Standing Firm. Is that spelled right? Yeah, I spelled right. Um, his second book, The American Family, Discovering the Values That Make Us Strong. Uh, they don't say if that was... That, that doesn't really sound like bestseller material, yeah. His third book, Worth Fighting For, 99. Yeah, I don't know. He moved to Arizona in 1996. This guy is leading a very boring life thought about running for governor of Indiana and decided against it. Citing health problems related to phleb phlebitis. The hell is that? That sounds like a made-up disease. What the hell is that? Oh, it's like an issue with his veins. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know this. He, he was on Larry King Live in 99 and said he was going to run for president in 2000. Hmm. Uh, that was when uh, George W. Bush, right? Yeah, that the George Bush, yeah. Is that the when George W. Bush? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he did, he didn't last very long. He became an investment banker in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh He endorsed Mitt Romney for president in 2011. Man, this guy's been living a very boring life. Oh, in 2016, he, he endorsed Jeb Bush. And Jeb Bush didn't make it. Trump. Trump was the, was the nominee and winner. The Dan Quayle Center and Museum in Huntington, Indiana, features information on Quayle and all U.S. vice presidents. Seems like a cool place to go. But it couldn't just be just him. I guess there wasn't enough content to just him. He was only in there for four years, right? so he had he had to bring in other vice presidents to make it more interesting. And look at this: Quayle is an honorary trustee emeritus of the Hudson. What the hell is this Hudson Institute? I never heard of this. It sounds like some sort of fictional institution. It's a real boring guy. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> what the hell do you want? All right, what, what is it? What is the Hudson Institute? I missed it. I lost it. 
this poor guy. I mean, you know, he was at the highest levels, and then he just sort of became like an investment banker or whatever. I mean, I don't know. Oh, there's his wife, Marilyn Quayle. Mm -hmm. Still, I mean, you know, he has that ace up the sleeve. If people, like, meet him, he seems, like, real boring. Yes, I'm the emeritus trustee of the Hudson Institute. Yeah, great. Oh, yeah, also used to be vice president of the United States. I don't remember that, you know. Yeah. The Hudson Institute <coughs> is an American conservative think tank. It was founded in 1961 on Croton-on-Hudson, New York, by futurist Herman Kahn and his colleagues at the Rand Corporation. Wow. So, so is he, uh, like, a futurist? I didn't know Dan Quayle was a futurist. Yeah. I think he's choosing these these very simple places to work, like Hudson Institute, and because they're very easy to spell. How can you misspell Hudson? H-U-D-S-O-N. No, 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 nothing with, like, weird, like, foreign words or anything. He's going to stick to very easy words so he can spell it. Did they, I don't know, did they have spell, I don't know if they had spell check back then. 88, that kind of time period, 90, the 90s. <clears throat> These days, you know. It's easier to write stuff like that. Yeah. Anyways. With that, I'd like to say thank you so much for patching into this episode of The Overnight Escape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora. And we are here on OnSug Radio. It's a book. We're inside the book, but currently also a website. A website that's, that's not doing so well. Hopefully we can repair it. We can fix it. But we'll see. We have to have a plan B as well. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, just go to onsug.com and hopefully by the time you get there it'll be working again. I mean, it's working. It's just a lot of the shows, if you hit play, it's not going to play because of this issue. And tomorrow, if I don't hear from them, I'm going to start repairing some of the more recent shows myself. Um, <clears throat> but hopefully they'll fix it. It's annoying, isn't it? I mean, $12 a month. I mean, I, I should get, like, top-notch service. Come on. Can you imagine? Even those people that have to, like, spend a few minutes, like, deleting my files. Like, that, that probably, they're probably paying them more than that just to do that. How are they paying these people if I'm only spending $12 a month on this stuff? That's why i got to give them a little slack. I, I mean, I, I, obviously, it's a very cheap web, web hosting. Anyway. No, they should fix it. Fix it, damn it. Fix it. Fix my website, damn it. Fix it. Anyway. Yes, go to OnSug.com. You can hear all of our shows. Of course, OnSug Radio is this project has been going for way over 20 years. And it is unique in several ways. As you can tell, the, the style of the shows is kind of a rambling monologue. Not, not all the shows are monologues. There's some shows that have co-hosts, but mostly it's monologues. And we don't have any set topics in general, obviously, on the Central, which we, you know, Overnight Escape Central has a new topic each week, but it's not like one topic. Uh, we talk about anything, you know, anything that, that crosses our minds, we talk about. Um, we're also uh, very concerned with preservation. All the shows we've ever done are preserved in the archive locally, and even if they're not on the website currently. Um, and this, this uh, focus on preservation is so that these shows can be heard by people in both the near and far future. We're talking like thousands of years from now. That's the intent, to preserve these shows for pe f listeners in all the, f all 
levels of the future. And of course, it could be branching futures as well, alternate realities. I know I don't mention. The, I, I I know I mention that very often, but it's, it's it's top of mind. Alternate realities. Come on, branching realities. These shows are not just going to be in one reality. They're branching off. Like as each reality branches, there's a copy of the entire archive goes with it. It seems like an awesome responsibility to to to, to entertain the masses of the future. <laughs> yeah, let's not get too arrogant now, show. Listen, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay, I I I I'm still like. Struggling to make my $12 website work, okay? Please. It's not talking about entertaining vast swaths of trillions of people in the future. Though, you know, we're it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Come on. Come on. Anyway. Um, yeah, so go to onsug.com. That's O-N-S-U-G.com. Stands for Overnight to Keep Underground. We have dozens of hosts, tons of shows, and the archive is massive, over 14,000 hours. It's like over a year and seven months. Nearly 12,000 individual episodes. On every topic under the sun you could possibly imagine, we've talked about it. And um, <clears throat> there's also a show you can participate in called Overnightscape Central. This is a show uh, that has been going for, what is it? This is in its 14th year now. And uh, PQ River ran it for most of that time. Jimbo did it for one year. And now Dave in Kentucky has taken over doing the show monthly. And we just had an episode, if I can find it here. Old-time religion, old-time radio, and old-time rock and roll. That was a really fun topic to check out, and the, uh, the episode is out now. And since it's monthly, you've got plenty of time <coughs> for the next one. The next uh, deadline is uh, May t- March 10th, 2024. The topic is morning coffee, evening drinks, and other minor vices. That's a great topic. How about those gummies? Those gummies I've been getting into recently. That's, it's a minor vice. It's not really that bad. Yeah. I'm afraid to talk about the gummies. <coughs> Delta 9, you know, it's legal. It's federally legal, Delta 9. Thank you. It's legal, so it's not really like a drug anymore. Well, it is a drug, but it's a legal drug. <coughs> Caffeine's a drug. Nicotine's a drug. Who's the towhead? Those drugs are legal. That's Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Talking to Kiefer Sutherland. And Sam Stanley. Where was I? Yes. Record on one, two, or all three topics of morning coffee, evening drinks, and other minor vices. You can get this. You can send it to Dave by 6 p.m. Central Time on March 10th, 2024. And his email address is daveky at mail.com, D-A-V-E-K-Y at M-A-I-L dot com. Please participate. We'd love to hear from you. Now, you know, similar to clearing the snow off the sidewalks, clear the cobwebs off your mind and emerge forth into a new place. The wine you're pouring may be missing the glass, but it's hitting this. The other side. Very good, very good. That was Danny Boy sung by Dennis Day. And now... Hey, Mr. Benny, I meant to ask you... How's Mr. Allen? Who? Fred Allen. Well, kid, it was nice seeing you again. <laughs> no, no, Phil. In fact, I'm glad he brought it up. Dennis, I'm happy to tell you that Fred Allen has the same old program, the same old joke, the same oh, old... Oh, wait a minute, Jack. That's not fair. I've heard all of Fred's programs, and they've been very funny. Yeah, but Mary, I wouldn't mind if his joke just laid there. But they crawl out of the radio and stain your rugs. <laughs> Program. That just shows what you know, Jackson. I think the funniest thing in radio is Alan's Alley. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah. I think so, too. 
Oh, you do, eh? I think so, too. Oh, you do, eh? I think Mr. Benny is much funnier than Mr. Allen. I think so, too. <laughs> oh, you do, eh? Yes, I do. And, I, and, what, and what's so great about Alan's Alley? Anybody with half an ounce of talent can do that. Oh, yeah. I'd like to see you do it. Well, I'll just show you, sister. Phil, get your band ready while I put this clothespin on my nose so I'll sound like Fred Allen. Now, I'll go down to the alley and you kids will play the parts of the people that live there. Okay, Phil. Music. <laughs> So, Kenny Delmar, I won't say it's been very windy, but last oh, night... Oh, Mr. Allen! Mr. Allen! Well, well, if it isn't Cleveland. <laughs> Cleveland, Kenny Delmar and I were just discussing the high wind we've been having here. Well, Mama says that all the wind is caused by the pickets. The pickets? <laughs> They carry their signs too high and walk too fast. And Mama also uh, Just said... a minute, Cleveland. I have a brother-in-law in the last row who's not quite through laughing. <laughs> anyway, I imagine your mother knows all about pickets. I understand she's been picketing Lindy's restaurant because the lamb chops look better in their panties than she does in slacks. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You write this stuff on Thursday, and then on Sunday, nothing happens. <laughs> What was that, Cleveland? Oh, Mama doesn't wear slacks anymore. She doesn't? Why did she stop wearing slacks? A policeman gave her a ticket for pulling a trailer without a license. Well, so much for your mother and her homegrown bustle. We've got to get down to Benny's Boulevard. Uh, what is your question for tonight? Our question is, is Fred Allen or Jack Benny the better comedian? Shall we leave? As one of my eyes said to the other, let's pack our bags and go. <laughs> I see Senator Harris is home. There's a ten-gallon hat and a five-gallon jug on the porch. <laughs> Let's knock on the bunghole and see what he's got to say. Somebody, I say, somebody knock. Yes, I... Harris is the name. Senator Harris, that is. I'm from the West. From the West, When eh? I'm east of the Mississippi River, I'm in enemy territory. <laughs> I hate the East. My favorite actress is Mae West. Look, no look. man living can make me go see East Land. Oh, I, I never can't. go out of the house on Easter Sunday. Senator, When oh. I bake bread, I won't use East. That's yeast. I thought you'd get a rise out of it. <laughs> Son, what you got on your mind? This is a free country. Well, I never saw anyone like this on your mouth, just like the front door of General Motors. Wide open, but nothing's coming out. You're tired, eh? Well, Senator, the question tonight is, who is the better comedian? Fred Allen or Jack Benny? I brought, I say, I brought it up in the Senate. Now watch this one, son. It's tricky. I brought it up in the Senate, and it made Senator Tidings glad. Ha, ha, ha. 
Glad tidings. That's a pun, son. I heard. That's an anecdote, an anecdote. Now, wait a minute. Sure, I commit you, son. Everything goes over your head. Own up, son. You got a mind like a chick. What? A cluck, that is. <laughs> Look, Senator, just tell me which comedian you like best, Allen or Benny. Where's Allen from? Boston. How about Benny? He's from Waukegan. Waukegan's west of Boston, ain't it? Yes. Benny's the one. So long, son. So long. Go west, young man. West, that is. So long. So long. So long. So long. So long. Where's that sound effect, man? I suppose the senator has gone back to his newspaper. He spends all night reading Westbrook Pegler. I wonder, I wonder if Dennis Day, I mean Titus Day, is at home. He's always so moody. Howdy, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mr. Day, I see you're at home. Yep, day in and day out, days in. But you say your eyes look all red. Been crying, Bob, reading a sad book. What's the title of it? Forever Amber. The title Forever Amber isn't a sad book. Here's when you're my age, Bob. a very important question to ask you tonight. Who do you think is the better comedian, Fred Allen or Jack Benny? Well, Bob, that's a moot question. Moot question? Yep. Moot be Allen, moot be Benny. I see. Well, which one do you consider the better comedian? Never hear them myself. When they come on, I put my radio out in the hen house. In the hen house? Why? Steps up production. Every every time Allen and Benny lay an egg, my hens try to match it. And that really increases your egg production. Did up to last Sunday. What happened last Sunday? All my hens killed themselves straining. So long, Bob. <laughs> well, I guess Mr. Day has his trouble, just like the city folks. Let's try this next house. People in the middle and the mustard on top. <laughs> just the way you like him in the whole mess. Ah, Mr. Kitzel. Hmm, you was expecting maybe Fibon McGee and Molotov? (laughs) Tell me, Mr. Kitzel, how is the hot dog business? (laughs) Very good, except for one thing. Mine customers have trouble making up their minds. Making up their minds? To what? Whether they want the pickle in the middle and the mustard on top, or the mustard in the middle and the pickle on top. I can see where that would pose quite a problem. Anyway, what I'm trying to find out tonight is who you think is the better comedian, Fred Allen or Jack Benny. In my house, that is making arguments. My wife, Tulule, is liking Fred Allen. And you? I am liking the great Gilderstein. Oh, the great Gildersleeve. Yes, when Gilderstein is broadcasting, Tulule is leaving the room. I see. When Fred Allen is broadcasting, I am leaving the room. What happens when Jack Benny is broadcasting? Mm-hmm. The radio is leaving the room. What? People in the middle and the mustard on top, just the way you like them and the whole I 
suppose Mr. Kitzel's life would be complete if people could just make up their minds where they want the mustard. Well, here's the last house in the alley. I wonder what a knock here will bring. Greetings, all. It's time for play for Rogers here with Rondelay. <laughs> You have more poems for us tonight. Oh, indubitably. Have you heard? Does the rum to the gin, I understand you're going steady with Rabel Ann. No. Oh, I said to myself, this is not for me, as I picked up the dice and threw a three. No. Oh, my mother has rolled her stockings down since she heard Van Johnson is back in town. That's it. Tonight we are trying to find out who is the better comedian, Fred Allen or Jack Benny. Precisely why I'm here. I have written a poem. And what is your... <laughs> <laughs> what? Now, what... Wait till I get this on site. <laughs> what is your comedian's poem called? Allen or Benny. How does it go? Allen or Benny. The question rings, and the nation is put to a test. From city to hamlet, you hear the cry, is Alan or Benny best? Alan has bags and Benny is cheap, and they're both on Sunday night. So millions of people from coast to coast tune in to hear them fight. And I often wonder just what it means as they hurl their epitaphs. For while they're knocking each other out, Cass Daly gets all the laughs. <laughs> well, I Rochester Openshaw. And now Phil Harris and his no goodman orchestra will play onesie twosie because that's as high as they can count. Take it,
cliffhangers. Three continuing action-packed stories in one show. First, The Secret Empire. Marshal Jim Donna rides out of the past right into the future and discovers a secret city beneath the earth, filled with wonders and packed with thrills far beyond the dreams of mortal men. A city ruled by an evil emperor whose one goal is to control all mankind. Next, a beautiful newspaper reporter travels the globe to uncover a plot which will end the world. But when this ring of master spies finds she's hot on their trail, all they want to do is stop Susan Williams. Then, it's Dracula 79. The Prince of Darkness has returned to cast his spell upon the unwary. But the evil Count will never rest in peace, for Kurt and Mary have sworn to end his immortal reign. Can goodness triumph, although Dracula rule the day? Watch Tuesday on NBC. They don't call them cliffhangers for nothing.
Soviet Union. The rainforests. Global warming. English lit. Tuition costs. Red meat. What to do Saturday night? You've got the problems of the world on your back. We can help you carry them. Backpacks from Outdoor Products. Life's a journey. We'll help you pack. One, two. Crotch Buckle and Friends. The Crotch Buckle and Friends show will turn after these messages. Now you can get official Crotch Buckle and Friends merchandise. Oh boy. Bob. 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 Yes, I am the real Raymond Zacharia. Yes, I am the real Fistantilius. Uh, yes, I am the real, um, um. Oh, you guys got me! Yes, I am the real Artemis P. Clawhammerfish Westside Jr. You'd be milled. Pick up the Tweech, Pidge, Hack, Tushk, Mondo, P. You say them too. Ready? Tweech, Pidge, Hack, Tushk, Mondo, Pilar. Mondo, Mondo. Is it mental? Fun, Mondo, Mental. It's your world. Mondo, Mondo. Mondo, Mondo. Tweech. Sprechen say Tweech? No, don't hurt Pidge. No, don't hurt Pidge. Hack. Hack. Tushk. Uh, Tush. Yes. Uh, Pilar. <laughs> Pilar. Uh, Mayamo Pilar. <laughs> Pilar. Nelp. Felipe. Nelp. Me vine sobre Pilar. Nelp. Nelp. Who combs the hair? Philip combs the hair. And when he combs the hair, he combs it all the way down. Who combs the hair? Philip combs the hair, and, and when, when he combs the hair, he combs it all the way down. Uh. Mom, don't comb my hair, handsome. Handsome. Joe, remember Step Crunch Purple? Where are we going? 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 Blah, 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 Nape, Signage. Signage. Nape. 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 I also moved to a new home. Now it moved to another new home. My mouth also moved to this new home. Thank you. Blah, 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 blah. Mongo's Rude China. Gimme Kef. Gimme Kef. Gimme Kef. Gimme Kef. Gimme Kef. Yummy in my pants. Mom, help!
Mom, help! No brain! No brain! No brain! No brain! No brain! One, two, three. Doopy, Fabi Gerald, Ortness D. 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 Dansk. 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 Bonselfk. Isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bonselfk. Isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bonselfk. Isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bonselfk. Isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Yeah, it is. What does it mean? Bon self is not a word. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Pray tell, what does it mean? Bon self isn't a word. Young Philip McPoop. Bap. I get to bap you during this. Bap. 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 Snood. 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 Crots. 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 Muscles. 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 Grosk. Ghost. 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 Now you're talking ghost, ghost Chinese. Ghost Chinese. Joey, don't breathe. Joey, don't breathe. Do it louder. Joey, don't breathe. Famous. <laughs> I made a famous. How are you today, sir? Very well, I thank you. Run away! Piddle. Whittle. Make a piddle in the whittle of a honeycomb piddle. It's two time Bugs Bunny on TV 33. Ho. Ha. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Too bright. Too bright. Beats Smee. It's good night. Boys, it's good night. It's good night. It's good night. It's good night. Smell the tape. Eat the book. Poop on the cassette. Uh, read your pants. Uh, eat um, the, story. the story. Eat the story. Snoop Krukle Poop. No, I'll do it. Though. 
Snoop Krukle Poop. Guess what tonight is? Going to sleep. Going to sleep. Going to sleep. Going to sleep. Wait, wait. Oh, it's Judy. No, wait longer in between. Wait. 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 Uh oh, it's Judy. <laughs> wait. Wait. Oh, it's Judy. Tostada con peanut butter y leche con chocolate. Tostada con peanut butter y leche con chocolate. Peck. Cough. Cough, sneeze, 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 cough, cough, clearing throat, clearing throat, cough, cough, faint, sigh, die. This is my country, rich in music, rich in culture, and known throughout the world for its cuisine. Four million people will visit my country this year, and they will enjoy the pleasures of life. My country satisfies all hungers, and is enjoyed by all. My name is Cesar Dovalina. Welcome to my country. Welcome to my restaurants. La Margarita Restaurant. There's one in Bolingbrook on I-55 and Route 53.
<laughs> I'm Ember Wang. Everyone always roots for the good guys. But what about us monsters and creeps? See Flesh Gordon and root for me, the Emperor Wang. <laughs> Certificate X, all over London this week and next week. Beat the heat. 
take Maggie and go. God damn his soul, got her under control. So take her and go. Take Maggie and go. She rattled and prayed, so up with the roll.